Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Duel of the Takes. Today, we are doing a follow-up to last week's episode, the uh, Best Animated Feature Nominations of the 2000s. We are now doing the 2010s. So uh, these aren't necessarily the movies we grew up watching, uh, the animated movies we grew up watching. These are kind of more of the ones that were coming out during our formative years in middle school, high school, and beyond. When pop music was good. Pop music was pretty good still. Yeah. Up first, this one... This one could be contentious for some. We've got Toy Story 3 up against How to Train Your Dragon, the first one. I feel like when we did our DreamWorks ranking, I was kind of the, the, the boomer of that episode. I had all the old films on my list and how did the how to train your dragon era of dreamworks was around the time i kind of fell off like kind of animation as a whole i don't know i was just like into other stuff and i wasn't going to the movies and seeing animated movies anymore so i'm not super familiar with how to train your dragon i know it's got a huge following but the one during this era the one animated film i saw in theaters with my family was toy story 3 that movie was an event and i think it's a very good movie it's a little on the overrated side when you compare it to pixar like we did when we ranked them but i think overall it is still a solid solid pixar movie and did this win uh yes toy story 3 won uh best animated picture this year it was also up for best picture this year toy story 3 should have been the last toy story movie and i liked it a lot it had an impact on me because it you know it came out in that time when it was like we can relate to andy as like moving on past this property and so it had a really nice closing. I enjoy Toy Story 3. I cannot say the same for How to Train Your Dragon or, spoiler alert, any of the sequels. I fucking hate this franchise. What? Bruh. This is a certified duel of the takes take. I was just about to say that I think these are both the third best movies in their respective trilogies. I think that How to Train Your Dragon, the first one, starts off a little rough. It's just very cliche. It's very much exactly what you think it's going to be and doesn't really take any risks. But I fucking love both the sequels for the risks that they take and the elevation and maturity that the story are handled with despite being sequels to this pretty middling kids movie with toy story 3 i've said it before i just think the best bits are kind of just rehashed bits from the second movie i agree with you josh toy story 3 was an event i thought it was so cool that all like the toy story toys were like all over store shelves again it was like this perfect nostalgic movie for me because i was you know coming to age as like a as like a preteen or whatever and didn't need to go see animated movies in theaters anymore but because it was Toy Story 3, this was this was huge for me. Yeah. It's just a testament to the staying power in, in Disney and Pixar. And I, I don't think that Toy Story 4 had anywhere near that same pull. I could be wrong. I uh... Toy Story 4 destroyed the franchise. It, ta- it takes everything that we like learned as like a lesson and like a like a takeaway of like growing up and moving on and stuff. And just kind of like shits on it and then shoves that shit into a different ass and then shits it out in beautiful HD. And then it's like, uh, yeah, Woody's a simp. Woody's a simp (laughs) and also Keanu Reeves is in it because he's contractually obligated to be in every movie now. 
Walden, uh, what's your take here? Do you agree Toy Story 3? Um, yeah, I do. I like How to Train Your Dragon, but All right. it's not. I like the sequels more. Nice. Up next, we've got La Luminosi versus Un Vie de Cat, uh, which is, I believe, The Cat in Paris and uh, The Illusionist. Um, we talked about The Triplets of Belleville last week, and I believe this was directed and produced by the uh, same person, uh, The Illusionist. I love the art style again, but I do think The Cat uh, the cat in Paris is the better movie. I agree. I, I did a bunch of research on these, and I don't like, I don't think The Illusionist looks nearly as good as The Triplets of Belleville. Like, it, it's crazy how they took a step down. And I, I, I'm not super crazy about A Cat in Paris. Like, the art style, I, I think the story's a little cliche, but it's cute, and I like it. Yeah, no, it doesn't feel like one of those foreign language animated movies that is, like, kind of preachy or has some, like, overarching message. It just feels like it's a, another animated kids movie that happens to be a foreign language film like Cat in Paris. I personally like the 2D animation. I thought it was like really refreshing and I like the way the environments look. I think it gives Ratatouille a run for its money for an animated portrayal of Paris. I think you get a lot more of the environment in the street life, which are my favorite elements of Ratatouille instead of just interiors of kitchens. That doesn't scream Paris to me. I I gotta pick Cat. I mean, come on. Alden, Josh, do you guys have a take here? Yeah, you compared the Cat won the Ratatouille so I mean I don't agree with Josh for the same reasons but I agree speaking of cats yikes <laughs> Chico and Rita up against uh, a Puss in Boots 3D you have uh, a, a Shrek spinoff on a character that is like a Jack Sparrow type that should stay a side character and then you have uh, an animated uh, like pr- uh, did this come out before or after La La Land because it's the same movie it's before well before okay so La La Land ripped this movie off the only thing that I, I don't like about Chico and Rita because I like the story of La La Land is that it I do not like the animation at all I think it is very ugly to look at yeah I agree it's definitely very cheap and it's also definitely very like uh, like rudimentary it's animated at like it looks like it's animated at like 12 FPS but it could be closer to 20 um, it just feels kind of choppy mm-hmm. but I mean yeah the other one's a literal Shrek spinoff and I don't know how it got a nomination Puss in Boots is not a good movie I always forget Puss in Boots exists. Like, I feel like I just made that movie up. <laughs> when I think of it, I think uh, there was a show, right? It might have been on Netflix. Um, that was bad. I think it's a little bit odd that these both represent Hispanic heritage in some capacity. <laughs> Chico and Rita looks like an elevated YouTube short. Yes, and that's exactly what it is, and I think it's better than Puss in Boots. All right, Chico and Rita is moving on. Up next, we've got Kung Fu Panda 2 up against Rango. Okay, so it's Rango. Yeah, I love love Rango. Uh, it's one of my favorite animated movies, honestly. Rango is one of the best movies on this bracket, no cap. I think Gore Bravinsky's direction really elevates this movie from being a, like a, a kid's movie to just straight up being a great movie. Uh, and I, I think Kung Fu Panda 2, like the How to Train Your Dragon movies, get the, I think that like the story gets a lot deeper. There's a lot more going on in terms of like emotional depth with Kung Fu Panda 2 as opposed to the first one. But it's not as fun as the first one. I just feel like this movie's screaming, I, we want to be Pixar, which is weird to go with, with a sequel to a movie with Jack Black <laughs> voicing a talking panda. I watched Kung Fu Panda 2 recently because uh, Aaron was like, Aaron was like, remember how good that movie was? And I was like, yeah, I, yeah, 
No, right. Think about it. Yeah, it was pretty. And then we watched it. I enjoyed it a lot more than I was expecting. I like the villain in it. It just doesn't hold up to Rango. <laughs> That's the problem I'm having here because I really, really like Kung Fu Panda and Kung Fu Panda 2. Uh, maybe not the third one, but Rango is just like, as a package, a lot stronger. Probably one of the best Westerns of the 2010. Yeah. Does Gore still direct movies? I feel like I'm his biggest fan. I think he's stepped into more of a producing role, but yeah, no, he's still, uh, he's still active in the industry, I believe. He's got a project for 2023 and it's a sci-fi movie called Spaceless. A man wakes up inside a spacesuit, tumbling helplessly through space, with a computer designed to keep him company until his air runs out, trying to solve the mystery of his death. This sounds like better gravity. This sounds like gravity meets memento, and I'm here for it. Anywho, Rango takes it. Like, come on. The round that no one gives a shit about. We've got Brave up against uh, the Pirates. Hang on, let me look up the full title here, because it's longer than I think. The Pirates Band of Misfits is the uh, United States title, but in Britland, they kept it as The Pirates in, adve- in an Adventure with Scientists. Oh. Um, okay. I don't know. This movie just screams like budget Ardman animation. That's what it is, though. But it has a really good meme template. It has two good meme templates. It has the gif with the, uh, the fucking monkey playing the cymbals, and then it has the the one with the well no actually but yes (laughs) which is weird that this movie has staying power but this is definitely my least favorite Aardman animated movie that's fair I just don't like Brave at all so I I was about to say Brave might be my least favorite Pixar movie Brave is fucking terrible I will say that Based based takes here. Brave is not. It's not just the worst Pixar movie. It's terrible, dude. It would be bad if it was a Disney animated movie. I like it. For why? It's a fun time. I literally get to hear people struggle with Scottish accents the entire time. It, it has the same problem that a lot of newer Pixar movies kind of have, where it's like, we have a good premise here, we've got a great main character, like, I genuinely like the main character of this movie for the first 15-20 minutes or so, but then they just, like, shift the plot into, like, the most generic animated kids movie shit ever, where they're like, <laughs> yeah, no, her mom and brothers are just gonna turn into a bear. Me mom's a bear. And, like, Disney has done this twice within a decade. And it's like, why, why is why is everyone turning into a bear? What is this, fucking Midsummer? Because bears are <laughs> like giant dogs and people love dogs but dogs are overused so they used bears yeah i i have to go with the pirates uh (laughs) band of misfits here yeah i'm down for that if only because brave sucks yeah i'm definitely outvoted but i i like brave i'm glad you do alden let it be known alden likes brave yeah all right up next we've got frank and weenie up against paranorman kind of weird these movies were released the same year they're both kind of spookier kid-friendly movies i thought these i thought these were the same movie (laughs) yeah i've heard that a lot from a lot of people i think part of the reason frank and weenie underperformed i mean it that one looks like the one that would do better it's a disney produced movie directed by tim burton based off of an animated or not a a, uh, live action short he made like 25 years before frank and weenie had a lot going for it and then paranorman came out first i think it came out in like august or september and I, i just don't think the market really needed two spooky animated kids movies that year. 
People saw Paranorman after Frank and Weenie came out, and they were like, I already saw that movie. I mean, I don't think Josh is alone in thinking that this is the same movie. <laughs> yeah. I think that Paranorman is funnier than Frank and Weenie. There's a lot of, like, clever jokes that I really enjoy in Paranorman. I don't get any of that enjoyment out of Frank and Weenie whatsoever. I think I agree. I agree with the, the jokes element of it. Uh, this, is a, this is a hot take, going back to last week's episode. If Monster House had the art style of Paranorman, I think it would be a great movie. That's, that's a good take. Because I like this kind of like... It feels like one part comic booky, like every character looks like a caricature, and it also has like those same kind of creepy visuals at times, uh, like Monster House aspired to do. I, I think in terms of a movie, I I think I like Frank and Weenie more. I, I think it's it's got a better heart to it. It's got like more of a story to it, and I think it fits better within like the greater mythos of Tim Burton's animated movies than whatever Paranorman was like going for. The cultural like impact of both of these movies is literally nothing like i forgot both of these existed until i made this bracket i think just frank and weenie's cooler for me uh that that just might be a tim burn bias do we have a 50 50 here yes we do um but i'd be willing to change my vote over to paranorman uh, i i don't think frank and weenie's a good kids movie i will say that like no kid wants to watch a black and white animated movie about a boy who's sad that his dog dies so he brings it back to life with science. I'm not gonna lose sleep over any choice that gets made here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember parts of Paranorman that I'm like, that was funny as fuck. Like, all the parts with, like, the big jock guy and his girlfriend are hilarious, but there's none of that in Frank and Weenie. Yeah, no, there's good bits. Yeah, I don't think they were dating. I guess my question is, which one of these do you think had a better shot of winning the best animated feature? Because I definitely don't think it was Paranorman. Oh, it was definitely Frank and Weenie had a better shot because yeah, that they would rather have Tim Burton accept the award. I'm sure. I mean, that's the only reason I think I wanted to move on is just because like I feel like this makes sense for being here. Whereas like Paranorman would be like if like the Adams Family Two movie produced by Amazon or distributed by Amazon got a Best Animated Feature nomination this year, which might happen. You've swung me. Frank and Weenie is pretty unique. It's it's pretty unique for what it is, and it. It does deserve to be here more than Paranorman. Paranorman does feel like a, a DreamWorks movie. What studio was Paranorman? I think it's uh, the same one that did like Kubo and the Two Strings, right? Isn't it that like... Laika? Paranorman's a Laika movie? But it's not Disney, right? No, it's definitely not Disney. So it had a lesser chance by default of winning. That's fair. Yeah, it is a Laika movie. Wow. That is, the, it, it must be the least, the, the least good Laika movie I think I've ever seen. Yeah, I agree. I, I, um, for the fact that it's Laika and it like, like dumps itself in a bowl for being what it is. Like a Laika movie, Laika movies are good. Even the bad ones are good. I, I'm, I'm changing my vote to Frank and Winnie because Paranorman should, should have been better than that if it's a fucking Laika movie. All right. Disney versus Disney here. We've got Wreck-It Ralph versus Frozen. I think that there's people that feel passionate about both these movies. I hate both of them. Whatever side is going to be pissed at us. I don't think any of the four of us care about Frozen. No. I kind of care about Frozen. I mean, a little bit. I spent two years of my life with, like, the Frozen soundtrack being the default thing in both of our cars. Yeah, I think, like, its impact, like, on pop culture is very impressive. But, I mean, Wreck-It Ralph, I feel like... Wreck-It Ralph is really good. 
It's surprisingly good. Well, it's also targeted to your demographic more. You are a gamer. Uh, I guess. Definitely targets my demographic better than uh, Free Guy. I stand by that I think Frozen was purely created to hide the search results of Walt Disney's Frozen head. I don't disagree, but I do think Frozen has an interesting presentation to itself. I, I think in a lot of ways, it's kind of Disney's biggest and animated movie since Lion King, even though it's a more rudimentary take on their 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 like Disney princesses and, and trying to revive that, even though Tangled did it better. It has this this interesting premise and this interesting setup and was such a big success. It makes sense why this specific Disney film was recognized by the Academy in some capacity or another. I also think as annoying as Let It Go is, the other songs on the soundtrack are all pretty good. Like there's a lot of great like future musical theater standards. Uh, I I dig the Frozen uh, setup and payoff. Uh, I think it's I think it's a fine movie and I think it's honestly like a good movie for kids to watch too. I think that like the theming of uh, who these these princesses like let into their life and like the contrast between them is really cool. I think it does a third act revealed villain in like a pretty decent way for a dumb kids movie. Wreck It Ralph I think has more interesting visuals, has a way uh, stronger sense of tone can like tone consistency throughout. Like it, it's very much a lot more fun. I also think it was a little bit ahead of its time in a way. I think Wreck It Ralph is like the best version of these Ready Player One movies that we've seen where it's like how many possible fucking intellectual properties can we throw into one movie and have people still care about our main character I genuinely like Wreck-It Ralph and Fix-It Felix and by the end of this movie I think that the, both those characters and the dynamics of who they are predetermined to be versus who they actually are arguably better and maybe even deeper than anything within Frozen I could go either way here my 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 gut feeling is telling me Frozen yeah I feel like Wreck-It Ralph uh took some plot points from like the Toy Story sequels too. It feels like a lot of times it's video games or it's it's the video game version of like toys, especially with the Wreck-It Ralph game itself being an old video game and potentially shutting down. If I had to sit through one of these movies again, which both of them I do not like, I don't think that they're bad. I can look at them objectively and see. I, I I hear what you're saying, Nate. That Frozen Frozen has a lot of merit to it, and it and it came out at just the right time. And Wreck It Ralph, I think, has a great emotional heart too. And I like. There's a lot of stuff in it that I like. Sarah Silverman is fantastic in it. I love uh, what's his face, the guy from uh, Thirty Rock who plays Fix It Felix. He's he's amazing in it. Everything he says is hilarious to me. I I don't want to sit through either of these movies again. But if I had to pick one, it would be Wreck It Ralph. Yeah, same. Sweet. We're going to wreck it. I have to say, I can't have Wreck-It Ralph move on without mentioning Kanye West comparing himself to the glitch. I think that's funny every <laughs> time I see that clip. All right. Up next, uh, we've got uh, The Crudes, a uh, DreamWorks movie up against Despicable Me 2. Illumination's uh, step into the minion uh, uh, pop culture uh, phenomenon that it was. I think without the sequel, Minions would have would have had a very short short lifespan but uh minions are in more movies than like woody and buzz at this point that's disgusting first of all it's despicable the despicable me too poster looks like uh hux and force awakens when he's given that speech to the stormtroopers <laughs> <laughs> i do not like the crudes thank you 
Never ask a man how much money he makes. Never ask a woman her age. And never ask the minions who they served in Nazi Germany. <laughs> <laughs> Should we stick with the crudes because the minions were just probably Nazis? And we, if we don't, then we'll be like all of us will be labeled white supremacists. I think the crudes are white supremacists. I know Nicolas Cage voices dad crude. Um, I'm actually leaning toward Despicable Me too here. I just think for the cultural staying power alone, it makes sense why Illumination is maybe the second best animated studio right now in terms of financial gross. Nate is a white supremacist confirmed. She Standing by it, Despicable Me too moves on. Yeah. I hate the crudes. I forget what it's called. I have not watched the one on the right, but I did look at it. It looks very cute. Yes. Up next, we've got uh, The Wind Rises up against Ernest and uh, Celestine. I believe. Ernest and Celestine versus The Wind Rises. Uh, I think The Wind Rises is an underrated Studio Ghibli movie. I don't think it's a great one. I'm leaning toward that one. I, I don't think I've seen Ernest and Celestine, and I'm sorry. I know. Nate hasn't seen a movie on a bracket? Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, this one flew completely under my radar. This is a duel that takes first. Ernest and Celestine is cute, but extremely predictable and extremely basic. Whereas um, The Wind Rises is a very deep and thoughtful story about a couple growing up in Japan in World War One. Mm -hmm. Absolutely breathtaking to look at, and it's absolutely heart-wrenching by the end. I really don't think there's a competition here. I think Ernest and Celestine deserves recognition. I just can't be the person that gives it to it. Yes, I, uh, I cried watching The Wind Rises in theaters because I was under the impression that this was uh, supposed to be the last uh, uh, directed movie by Miyazaki, and so I was like, I gotta make an effort to go see this, and he's made like three cents, so I feel I feel uh, completely ripped off, but in the same regard, I do think the story, yeah, it, it gets me there. It, it's very deep, and it's a beautiful like romance portrayed through animation in a way that doesn't feel um, like artificial. It doesn't feel like there's this fantasy or whimsical element. It's a very grounded anime movie, and I respect that uh, for it. It also tackled one World War I before a lot of other like major Hollywood movies did that later in the decade, which I thought was weird that it took us a while to get there. You mean 1917, the greatest film of the decade? And Wonder Woman. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here it is. Big Hero 6 versus How to Train Your Dragon 2. I said what I said. This one's really difficult for me. All right, Sekula, this could be our first big alliance here. I said it before, I'll say it again. I have a complete and utter disdain for the How to Train Your Dragon franchise. I have seen all of the movies. I do not like a single one of them. I will agree with what a lot of people will say, that, that the second one has some really beautiful animation. But it doesn't touch Big Hero 6, so... And also look at Baymax. Both of these movies may or may not have made me cry. Maybe I'm an oversensitive fella, but uh, I like I like elements of Big Hero 6, but the longer that movie goes on, the less I give a shit. I feel like all of the interesting stuff happens in the first act, and then the movie just plays out. Whereas How to Train Your Dragon 2 has a narrative and a, a journey within it for our main character who's named something stupid like Hiccup. He put some respect on Hiccup. He finds out a lot about his, his 
his heritage, about his his family's past. He uh, has to deal with the death of his father and also leading an army in battle. I think that this is the closest an American animated movie has matched or an anime film like Princess Mononoke since its respective release. There's a lot to do with coming of age. There's a lot to do with a giant world conflict. And sure, it's a lot lighter. It's got a bunch of fucking funny ass dragons, but it's better than some really weird superhero shit that, I mean, sure, does the villain have a good motivation behind what he's doing? I personally think so. I think Big Hero 6 has a good villain, but I think How to Train Your Dragon 2 has a great hero, and I don't think that Big Hero 6 has that. It has a cute mascot. Okay, Alden, give it to us. Yeah, no, Nate already sold me on the the first bit of Big Hero 6, like everything happens in the first act. Um, I've seen this movie, I think, six seven seven times since it came out and i've only seen how to train your dragon 2 once and i still think i'm leaning towards how to train your dragon because it's just the more i watch big hero 6 the less i like it and i hate that fact about it because it was one of my favorite disney movies a while ago i have the exact opposite feeling about big hero 6 the more i watch it the more i like it and i know it's simplistic and you're you're right I, I never thought about that a lot of it happens in the first act yeah i think i just get bored with it what it does is it sets up all the heroes in the first act and then you just get like this this pixar animated superhero movie with these heroes that you kind of like have never really seen before like incredibles i love incredibles i don't think it's better than or i don't think it's worse than big hero 6 it's it's fantastic for Let's be honest. It's Fantastic Four, and that's great. I love the Fantastic Four. Big Hero 6 is like, it's got all these unique characters that you haven't seen before. I think it's really impressive that in a decade filled of the oversaturation of superhero films, uh, an animated film like Big Hero 6 could still stand out, still be talked about today as one of Disney's uh, best animated films of the past decade. Mm-hmm. Like I said before, I, I know the How to Train Your Dragon franchise has its fan base. I'm not denying that the animation's really good in that, but I don't know. The whole world and lore, I never found like all that interesting and i don't know big hero 6 is a little more inviting to me as a uh, as a casual viewer of animated films i guess yeah i can definitely get that i uh, actually watched how to train your dragon 2 before i had seen the first one i i think i think i was just watching uh, i was like i was like babysitting some kids and they wanted to watch how to train your dragon 2 so i was like yeah whatever throw it on and i i was not even paying attention i was playing games on my phone like a good babysitter and then like as the story went on i was like getting emotionally connected to these dumbass characters with stupid names and I was like what the hell is going on here and then the third act of this movie brought me to fucking tears I mean it's really well affected it's got beautiful music uh, fantastic animation to, to bout and then I went back and watched the first How to Train Your Dragon and I was like this movie like sucks like honestly it, it's <laughs> the sequel is leaps and bounds ahead uh, of the first one in every capacity and I, I think that that's something that kind of needs to be like rewarded and acknowledged in some capacity because as much as I like Big Hero 6 I don't think that anything about that movie is wholly or original or organic uh, it feels very much like a movie that was created to 
market Baymax as like a mascot, as like maybe the next Stitch of sorts. And I, I really think the plot just under delivers very heavy exposition dump. We already knew that we already know our main character is like orphaned and, you know, he's living with his really, really hot aunt. And that's just part of the plot. And then his like older brother dies and you're like, shit, damn, this guy's life couldn't get any worse. And it's like it hits you with all this stuff over the head at the very beginning, like some of the later Pixar movies or I guess now the middle Pixar movies. It's got some it's got the same kind of setup as like a Wally or an up in terms of here's everything that this movie has to offer in the first 15 minutes. And if you give a shit after that, good on you. If you don't, well, at least you had a good 15-minute short film. And I liked the first 15 minutes of Big Hero 6 a lot. But the longer that movie went on, the less I gave a shit. And I feel the complete opposite about the other movie here. The more you watch the movie, as the story and as the plot continues, you get so much more invested into the character in the world. It's dumb. It, it's not a movie that I would ever watch on my own accord. But when I did watch it, I was I was taken aback. I thought that How to Train Your Dragon 2 was a, an amazing, an amazing movie. Movie. And acceptable for kids, too, even though it has darker themes. Big Hero 6 is also totally suitable for children of all ages, and it has some darker stuff at the beginning, but then it gets really fucking light and turns into just about every other animated movie made in the past decade. Here's a broad strokes take that I'm, I'm going to basically just be like, okay, fine. Because I don't think either of these movies are going to make it very far overall. I don't think either of these movies make it to even even the chub. I, I don't think that either of these have the staying power to do that. I'm okay with folding on this one, but I don't, I'm not conceding that How to Train Your Dragon 2 is better than Big Hero 6, because it's not. I don't like, those movies are not good to me, and I don't, I, 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 the character design makes me like viscerally upset. All right, it sounds like the popular opinion here. It, it sounds like three people are okay with Big Hero Six moving on, and I'm just a, I'm just a shill for How to Train Your Dragon Two. I I'm with you on How to Train Your Dragon. That's what I'm saying. I'm folding here. I'm you know. Yeah, but you've also watched Big Hero Six like six or seven times. I would. Yes, but I'm saying every time I watch it, I like it less. I get bored after the first half. Sakula does make a point about the characters, and I feel like that stream works in general i'm like why does the incredibles a film that came out in like 2004 look better than still some of like the early 2010 streamworks characters it's a good point they're just not appealing to look at none of them are like you've got your main lead who you're supposed to identify with and he looks so stupid and then you've got the the love interest who looks like she got hit by a bus <laughs> If, if I cared as much about the other two movies in its trilogy, I think I would have to, like, die on this hill. But I really think that How to Train Your Dragon 2 is, like, a great movie with two good, uh, pretty good movies, like, surrounding it. I mean, if there's a lot of love for Big Hero 6, it, it really doesn't matter to me. I, I think that Big Hero 6 is fine. I just doesn't... I d Neither of them are making it very far in this bracket. <laughs> You're totally right. You're totally right. Hey Siri, flip a coin. Big Hero 6 is heads. It's heads. Big Hero 6 moves on. Big Hero 6. <laughs> Alright, The Box Trolls uh, by Laika versus Song of the Sea. Uh, we talked about, uh, what was the one we, uh, The Secret of Kells last week on the show. Yeah, I think Song of the Sea is the better movie here. Uh, I straight up do. Box Trolls is really bland and super forgettable, and I remember when it got nominated, like, a lot of people were like, really? What the fuck? And the animation's good. It has that kind of stop-motion feel to it. It's really, really cool, but the 
story is stupid. The box trolls are lame characters. It really just feels like a prototype for like the troll, the DreamWorks fucking trolls movies, like <laughs> wholeheartedly. I have the same feelings for box trolls that I do for the How to Train Your Dragon movies, where I just think it's viscerally ugly to look at. <laughs> Song of the Sea, though, I think is a beautifully animated movie. Oh my god, no! We're gonna have to fight for Song of the Sea later because I I have a deep love for that movie. All right, cool. We'll 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 save it for later then. Um, up next, we've got the tale of Princess. Uh, Kaguya versus When Marnie Was There. Okay. I don't know if I've seen both of these movies. I know that they are both uh, Ghibli movies, I believe. I've seen When Marnie Was There. I haven't seen the other one. I looked at some of the trailers for it, and it looks pretty. But, you know, I'm going to be super biased here because When Marnie Was There is now one of my favorite Ghibli movies of all time. Definitely one of the most heart-wrenching and incredible animated stories I think ever told. I cannot sing enough praises about about that movie I, but I can't say anything about the other one because I really haven't seen it at all I, but I will say I feel like the animation while while simplistic and, and that's kind of the point feels lacking to me and maybe that's like the point that it's like you know very 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 simplistic you've got like you know four or five colors going on at once yeah one of them feels like a fairy tale like it feels like a like a story of a princess coming into her own and then the other one just feels like a a gut-wrenching coming-of-age drama. And I, my, me and my preferences are going to lean with the gut-wrenching coming-of-age drama, especially in the way that it's presented in in, in uh, When Marnie Was There. I think, think that's the better movie, and I don't really think that that's a hot take. No, not at all. Alden, Josh, you got anything on this? Josh has not seen either of these, and I don't think he ever will, and that's fine. <laughs> you know, Alden sent the uh, the political compass with the watches anime, does not watch anime. I don't like that I'm on, like, the line of very close to watching anime. I mean, I, I would say I would say that Ghibli is, is technically outside the realm. Whatever makes you feel better. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make me feel better. I've watched actual anime, so I can't say much. To make you feel better, they're, they're a bit... Uh, not as gross. <laughs> I do think, Josh, that I justified that with uh, you watch pro wrestling, which is just live action anime. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> redneck anime. All right, when Marnie was there, moves on. Uh, let's fucking speed round this shit. Let's go. All right. Sorry, Cat and Paris. You just don't have the emotional depth. It's Toy Story 3. Uh, Chico and Rita versus Rango. It's Rango. It's Rango. Rango is a competently <laughs> animated movie. <laughs> Frank and Weenie versus the, the Pirates uh, band of misfits. Frank and Weenie. I would have felt better say, uh, saying Paranorman here, but Frank and Weenie is still fine. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Uh, Wreck-It Ralph versus Despicable Me Too. Wreck-It Ralph. Wreck-It Ralph. Wreck-It Ralph. Yeah. Uh, the Wind Rises versus Big Hero 6. Wind Rises. Yeah, it's The Wind Rises. Wind Rises. Big Hero 6. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Josh, one of these movies is actually made by Japanese people, and the other one heavily j- appropriates Japanese culture. San Fran Tokyo. I do love the idea of San Fran Tokyo, though. It's a, it's a cool-looking city. I mean, it's a cool-looking city. I still hate it. Uh, Song of the Sea versus When Marnie Was There. 
when Marnie was there. When Marnie was there. Uh, okay. Yeah, okay. All right, we are now fighting for the final, uh, the final three, I guess. And one of them is going to have to fucking... It, it, this bracket's set up weird because there's more than 32. So are we all leaning toward Rango here? I am. I think I am. Yeah, I mean, Toy Story 3, like... It's no Toy Story 2. It has that emotional depth. It pretty much was our first, like, Force Awakens because, like, we had all these uh, characters we knew come back after, I think it was, like, 10 years, whatever and uh, pretty big deal pretty big fun event um, where Toy Story lacks I think Toy Story 3 lacks excuse me um, is doing the whole third act villain thing again especially this one you just saw from a full mile away if you've seen any Pixar movie and um, but it gives you a very great ending but Rango it does so many things in animation that like I think are so underrated where they actually had like Johnny Depp and the other actors like actually like um, do like the do the scenes walk around they're motion capped well, they're not even motion capture, though. It's like they literally just did it for reference to see how the like the actors would do it. And then they animated the characters while looking at the footage. Like, that's the crazy part is it's not even mocap. And I feel like there was a lot of unnecessary hate towards Johnny Depp in the 2010s when it came when it came to his career, because I think uh, he did. He never really had such a bad like downward downward spiral as people think, because I think this is a great example of Johnny. This is a great Johnny Depp performance in Rango. It really reminded me of some of his 90s performances like Ed Wood. He's just so funny in it. Yeah, and in a way, he's kind of reprising his character again from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and from uh, uh, The Rum Diaries. Uh, he, th- this is very, very loosely based off of gonzo journalism and yeah, that kind of aesthetic with a Western, and I think it does it in a really fun way. I, I think a lot of movies on this list have like this like this like reluctant hero kind of narrative and i think rango does that a lot better than most movies that try just to dunk on uh toy story 3 even more before we pick rango toy story 3 is i I love the movie if you if you take these as individual movies and you dispel everything else about everything that we know toy story 3 doesn't hold up without having the emotional backstory of the first one like you were saying it was like the like i think you said avengers that's true it doesn't you can't if you if toy story 3 is the first movie that you've seen you cannot appreciate it as much as you can as if you've seen the other ones, whereas Rango stands on its own. I, I agree. Yeah. I think, like, without Toy Story 1 and 2, you really don't get much of a movie here. You get, like, a like a reunion movie for, like, characters that you don't know. And I feel bad for all, like, the kids that are younger than us that this was probably their first Toy Story movie. <laughs> Frankenweenie, Wreck-It Ralph. Uh, it's not even a competition. It's, it's Wreck-It Ralph. It's, yeah. I'm gonna wreck it. I'm gonna wreck it. All right. Wind Rises versus When Marnie Was There. I'm picking When Marnie Was There as much as I love The Wind Rises. I think I'm leaning towards The Wind Rises personally. I love both of these movies, and I think they're both underrated Ghibli movies. But I like the... Uh, like environment and the like kinetic nature to passage of time in uh, The Wind Rises a lot more. You kind of see this like romance play out over the course of like I think it's like five or six years which 
is a long time for people in their like early 20s and and progressing into adult like whereas i think like when marnie was there is very much uh, a deep deep story but very specifically about like the summer after uh and and it 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 hurts and it's a good watch but i I don't think it has that kind of grand epic scale that the wind rises has for me personally i think it's just a preference thing that's what i like about when marnie was there is that it doesn't have that grand scale it very much for the main character you focus like on her like like you you see very visceral examples of like real reaction to depression the way she treats that one girl before she gets sent off to like uh to, to the farm area with the with the castle and all that shit like the way she treats that one girl is purely out of her own self-hatred it has nothing to do with the other chick she's being so nice and then the way they portray the way that that girl like like forgives not forgives her but like offers her redemption i don't know and there's also lots of like heavy lgbt themes in when marnie was there it, it but it then it, then it turns i, I don't want to spoil are we spoiling movies it, it doesn't matter if it helps your defense then do it I, and then they turn around and they're like no it's not that the the, the blonde girl spoiler alert skip ahead like 30 seconds turns out to be her grandmother the main character very clearly is gay and did not know that and there's other themes at play there that that go into like the very weird uh uh like spiritual uh miyazaki-ness of it but it's 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 i love all of the themes in in when marnie was there it really like i think it's very very strong and i think that when marnie was there is stronger than when when the when wind is it wind rises or when the wind rises i think it's the wind rises the suicide squad the suicide squad josh alden i think we need a tiebreaker here if any one of you has seen uh, these movies i know josh hasn't nor will he ever and that's okay (laughs) (laughs) uh i will i will probably side with wind rises okay sorry john (laughs) that's okay that's okay it's a good movie. It's a really, really strong pick. Super underrated. All right. Up next, Rango versus Wreck-It Ralph. I did not really see it coming down to these two for the left side of the bracket. This is not at all how my bracket went. All right, I'm making a tough choice here. Is that a tough choice? Yeah, for me it is because I, I really, I appreciate Wreck-It Ralph a whole lot more after seeing the second one. They somehow managed to build onto it extremely well. How do you, I, you know, I should have expected this. I should have expected this take from Alden that he would start defending Wreck-It Ralph 2. This is very gamer moment. Johnny Depp is definitely a gamer moment. I think I like the animation style of Rango more. I kind of like how oddly realistic all of the animal, like, human hybrid characters look in this. Like, the rattlesnake villain. I like how it makes me thirsty. Yes, this movie does make me really thirsty. I like that it, it mixes... Uh, like a, 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 the themes and like the underlying current of a movie like Chinatown where it's all about control of power and control of water. It's not something you'd really think of in a in a typical Western, but it makes a lot of sense. And then, yeah, you've got all these like little little desert critters. And I, I really like the rattlesnake villain and the fucking evil ass old man turtle. He feels like a, <clears throat> he feels like what's his name's character from the quick and the dead. Uh, <laughs> but he's a turtle. When Rango is in theater, there must have been people just like sprinting to the concession stands in the middle of that movie. Oh yeah, it's like I need a Coke stat. <laughs> 
Give me your finest icy. It's now Pepsi. I like Wreck-It Ralph, but it, it to me, is the uh, Disney, like, animated movie that is striving the hardest to be a Pixar movie and just falls a little bit short. Um, I do think, I, like I said, though, I, I do think the uh, elements of it blending all these other intellectual properties and video game characters and stuff is way better than things that came out after it. I think it does that element very well. I like the, the scene that they played a lot in the trailers with all the villains at, like, an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. Yeah. <laughs> all these different uh, video game characters. And I like that, like, Wreck-It Ralph is essentially, like, a Donkey Kong ripoff. And they this is the best Donkey Kong movie we'll ever get. That's facts. That's facts. Never thought I'd see Sonic on a cover of a Disney poster, too. I forgot Sonic was in that movie. Rango Unchained versus The Wind Rises. <laughs> Two completely different themings. Very. I'm gonna look like such a weeaboo. No. I feel like it's a stronger, like, I I, I love Rango, and I- No, no, no. You had the Wii movie, go over Ratatouille last week, we're not doing this again. Hey, Josh, I was on your side last week. <laughs> That's what I'm afraid of right now. <laughs> now I- <laughs> I'll say that I don't think that Wind Rises is the strongest Ghibli movie. Uh, I don't think that pitting two Ghibli movies against it, if the other one makes it is worth it i i'm I'm willing to go with rango on this one because i do love both of these and i do i I, we've talked about it a lot but i love the animation in rango it really like i've watched it multiple times just on my phone just because it's like just watching it is so satisfying when we uh when we ranked the nickelodeon original movies if it wasn't in the context of it being under the Nickelodeon umbrella, I think Rango could have won that list. Oh, it's the best movie on that list. I'm surprised it didn't. What what, what did it lose to? Like SpongeBob SquarePants, the movie, and Good Burger. <laughs> and it, maybe Nacho Libre. I don't remember. Nacho Libre was in the top four with the rest of them. I remember that. Okay, then Rango was five. That's insanity. That's insanity. Hey, Good Burger is pretty great. Okay, then Rango deserves its retribution right now. (laughs) All right, Rango it is. Glad I brought that up. (laughs) The right side of the bracket. We've got Boy in the World up against Shaun the Sheep, the movie. Shaun the Sheep. Yeah, I I don't even care for Shaun the Sheep. I'm surprised that Nate is like about to like bleed for this movie in this bracket, but I I watched the trailer for Boy in the World and I watched a bunch of clips from it. I watched and people talk about it and nobody sold me it, it looks okay it is very okay like i i like the kid style of it like the 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 childish like drawing style that they animate it's cute why'd they make boy meets world an animated movie <laughs> <laughs> and that's cool but i don't think that it holds up to sean the sheep the movie even though i don't think sean the sheep the movie needs to go as far as that we're gonna try and make it go here yeah i think it does all right up next we've got anomalisa versus inside out for me this one's not a competition because i don't like Inside Out. Uh, I remember watching Inside Out in theaters and thinking like, wow, this is like one of the best Pixar movies in, in years. And I think it has some of some really great elements. Um, I don't think it's aged particularly well. I think it's fine. I think it's a good movie. But Anomalisa is one of the most unique movies on this entire list. And I think it's probably the best written movie on this entire list. Charlie Kaufman is a fucking madman. And the fact that he was like, yeah, I want to make a movie about like, like really like human, very like grounded, realistic characters. But uh, yeah, no, they're all just puppets. They're all like marionette dolls. Well, I think we're going to have to 
come back to Anomalisa because like there's a lot of elements that I really want to talk about with it, but it's not even worth disclosing them in relation to Inside Out. Yeah, the fact that Inside Out beat this at the Academy is straight up insulting. It's most certainly because it's Disney and because Anomalisa is very short and because uh, Inside Out is way more marketable than Anomalisa is. Anomalisa is an extremely dark, extremely personal story, is very, very R-rated. Uh, oh, here it is, the Disney battle. We've got Moana up against Zootopia. Here's a hot take. Oh, Alden, you go. I just, Zootopia represents good things, but also very, very not good things. What are the very not good things? Uh, well, we'll talk about it later, when you're older. <laughs> Look, I think that Zootopia, and this is a hot take, is a better film. I think it has more interesting characters. But does it have The Rock? I agree, but I don't want to. No, but here's the thing, right? I, a, it doesn't have The Rock, but B, it also has furries and has done a lot for that community that I cannot support. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm, and I'm not stupid on furries. I know it's not all sexual. I don't care. I really hate all of them and I don't like them. I really think that <laughs> it's a bad space. I've had multiple people uh, tell, who, who worked at, at theaters during the release of Zootopia. Um, every single person I have talked to about it has had a very similar experience. And that's a huge, like, slash against the movie. I, I can't I can't even watch it again. And it's a good movie. That's the problem. Nearing Zootopia, and there were definitely some kids with tails, like, yiffing in the backseat. And it was kind of very uncomfortable because this is a Disney movie. I am going to align with the furry tendencies here, though. I think Zootopia is the better movie. I will say Moana, the fucking music in Moana is fantastic i think without that's without that soundtrack moana's nothing i don't care for the story i think that the environment is interesting and unique i like i like moana as a character i sort of like what they do with um maui sort of it feels a little too cliche where he's like oh he comes back like just in the nick of time like it's like of course he does like no one ever thought he was gonna do anything i don't i just don't like that sometimes they treat kids like they're idiots and, like, even as a kid, if I was watching Moana, I'd be like, yeah, Maui's going to come back and, like, help save the day. But, like, Zootopia is a plot that kind of kept me on the edge of my seat. And I think that, like, the reveal villain is actually pretty smart. And I think it says a lot more about our society than uh, whatever, like, Moana's, like, deeper themes are, which is a pretty much, like, believe in yourself and have faith in tradition and family, which is cool. But Zootopia said ACAB before it was cool. And uh, it also used furries to do do that and it's probably the most 2010 10s movie i can think of moana moana gave some mainstream attention to samoans outside of professional wrestling so i do do give that a positive uh, I will say about Zootopia though. I remember the trailer for that with the sloth. I think it was I, I think it was when I saw like Force Awakens or something. It was the only trailer. Um, genuinely, the whole theater was like laughing out loud, uh, which is an interesting uh, point I could give because I haven't seen Zootopia. And Jason Bateman's so good in it. I will say the actual like mystery within the movie is good enough. Like it 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 feels like a G-rated seven. <laughs> Kinda, yeah. I think I agree with you, Nate. Zootopia is a better movie. However, I'm putting my foot firmly in Moana camp. I cannot align with the furry agenda. If it were up to me, they would all be behind bars. They go a little bit into 
the idea of what if it was an animal society? Well, we'd have different sized things. The hamsters would have their little suction tubes. They don't go beyond that, though. They're still all regular human-sized chairs. All the cars are still regular cars, basically. The buildings are buildings. They have, like... Well, sort of. But the, the Italian little mouse community <laughs> with Marlon Brando mouse is... Uh... They do some cute stuff with it, but everything has to be very human-themed. I've seen... Uh... Sekula, can... Sekula, if somebody told you it was in the same universe as, like, Chicken Little, would you believe it? I would believe it. I wouldn't. It's the same... It's the same idea. Like, they have little differences, but it's mostly the same. And I think that I've seen a lot more animated movies with animal characters in it where they go a lot harder into the idea of, like, what if the society was built around animals? In this one, they're kind of like, well, what if human society was left over and then animals took over? Well, a couple things would change, but not everything. That bothers me a lot. And also the furry aspect. So I'm 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 in Moana camp. You guys can fight this out. If there are any of the good ones in reference to furries, uh, listening to us right now, wave. Uh, we're not going to see it, but go ahead and wave. I, I mean, I I think so much of this really comes down to soundtrack. Zootopia has one Shakira song, and Moana has arguably the best Disney princess movie soundtrack since like Aladdin. I. I'd make a case for maybe Mulan. Oh, yeah. That was after Aladdin. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, Moana can move on here. I think I gave Zootopia a fair fight. Uh, Up next, we've got the Red Turtle versus My Life as a Zucchini. I watched the Red Turtle. I did not watch My Life as a Zucchini. I did watch some people talk about it. I, I, I really appreciate My Life as a Zucchini. It actually talks about a story I've never really like seen portrayed in this way. Um, it's extremely dark for a kid's movie. It feels like something Tim Burton would make, but it's way too colorful to be that. That being said, the visual storytelling in The Red Turtle is unparalleled um, by anything that I've seen that I can think of. Um, it's almost, it, it's actually totally dialogueless. There's a couple words where people are like shouting, completely dialogueless, and you you are never confused about what anybody's feeling. And there's all these beautiful wide shots. It's, uh, I saw one reviewer calling it like the bastard of Studio Ghibli, which like I can get because it's, I think it's the first one that came after Miyazaki died. Looks nothing like a Ghibli movie. I would be hard pressed to even call it one, but it is extremely beautiful, extremely heartfelt, and there's no dialogue. So it's like, it, it, it manages to tell a deep and fulfilling story while having no dialogue whatsoever. I think My Life as a Zucchini can be argued for, and I won't be upset about it, but I I, I, I think Red Turtle is a, is, a, is a feat in filmmaking and storytelling. Yeah, I, I like the, the premise of the Red Turtle, and I do agree the visuals really help guide the story in a way that is extremely unique, especially for what Studio Ghibli was doing at the time before and after, where especially in the localization of the uh, films for an American audience, they partner with Disney, and get like an A-list voice cast. And the fact that they made this kind of off-kilter, you know, pretty much no dialogue, uh, you know, feature-length animated film is is very impressive. I'm going to lean with uh, my life as a zucchini here because, uh, Jesus Christ, this story is deep as shit. The main character's mom is an alcoholic whose father abandoned him, and he uh, essentially gets killed in a drunken rage by his mom by falling down a flight of stairs and uh, 
associates with being a, a vegetable for the rest of his life, which is fucking depressing. But also, this movie's like really warm and like colorful and vibrant, and I, I guess like that tonal yo-yoing of like it, this isn't for kids, but at the same time, it's like it has that same kind of like youthful uh, presentation to it, where I think it's in a way supposed to bring the child out of an adult audience member watching this and and feeling an emotional connection even if they don't have um you know that past uh and, and like you know trauma as a child uh and, and like living through the characters for a little bit and i agree this feels like a tim burton movie if a tim burton movie committed to actually having like grounded characters and like real world consequences and more than one color. Yes, and more than one color. Yeah, I, I don't know. I could go either way here. Uh, based off of the descriptions here, Josh and Alden, where are you guys leaning? Uh, I definitely think my life is a zucchini. If you, if I had to watch a movie right after this recording, it would be my life as a zucchini. Especially... Especially because the red turtle is Japanese? No, because the... Well... Sakula said it's like kind of like the redheaded stepchild of the Studio Ghibli movies, and as somebody who hasn't seen any of them, that probably turned me off from ever watching another one. It's a redheaded stepchild only in its release because Miyazaki oversaw, who's like, you know, the prolific director of all of the best Ghibli movies, he oversaw every other one. This is almost nothing like any other Ghibli movie. It, 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 like I said, I'd be hard pressed to even call it one. Um, if that's what's putting you off to it, then okay. I would see it as its own thing. I, I'm i not going to lose sleep over it because from what I have seen of My Life as a Zucchini, I, it, it, it seems like something that would make me cry by the end of it. And I did not cry at the Red Turtle, so. One thing I will say about the uh, My Life as a Zucchini, because I don't think it's making it very far, unfortunately. Um, it has what I kind of was complaining about earlier, where it has this really, like, dark and emotional setup, like Big Hero 6. But the rest of the movie is presented as, like, a, a dark comedy. And I respect that a lot, because I, as someone, I, uh, the way I cope with things is through humor. And I think that the fact that this movie has such a fucking brutal and dark opening to then just like this like whimsical kind of half fantasy half uh you know comedy uh, uh narrative after that is is fucking beautiful and i would like to see it elevated here so uh my life as a zucchini moves on now we're moving on to two movies about a young boy who goes on an adventure and plays a guitar we've got kubo in the two strings versus coco and jory isn't here thank god we can slander coco yeah, yeah i love coco I don't think that it holds a, a candle to Kubo. I think that it's very cookie-cutter Pixar. You can tell exactly what's happening. You know from the very beginning when they set up the plot who his dad actually is. Like, when they introduce that character, you're like, oh, okay, that's his dad, and you're going to find out that the other guy's is a bad guy. Beautiful. I did cry in the theater to that, but I do think that it's not as good as Kubo. Yeah, I really like Kubo and the Two Strings uh, because it does a lot of things right. It has this like Eastern-influenced kind of myth world to it, but doesn't directly take a single story or appropriate any uh, culture with that kind of narrative, in my opinion. It very much leans into a certain presentation, has beautiful stop motion animation. This might be the second best looking stop motion animated movie on this list, in my opinion. I love the soundtrack and the music and the actual like 
like fantasy elements of this movie feel very similar to something like um, the early animated like Hobbit and Lord of the Rings movies crossed with like like Breath of the Wild. Like it, it feels like an epic and it has really, really good action choreographed scenes and the behind the scenes for Kubo and the Two Strings alone is a better movie than Coco. The, the fact that the animators went to these lengths to make this movie that underperformed at the box office and wasn't marketable towards kids uh, but really poured their hearts and souls into a movie goes uh, lengths beyond uh, the Remember Me performance at the Academy Awards when Coco was nominated for Best Original Song. Yeah, according to Jory, my entire opinion's around that performance, but I always found Coco very predictable, and neither of these movies, to me, should actually won Best Animated Feature. There's another movie on here that is legal and bounds above Coco, and I think Coco should just be left in the first round right now. Yeah, I've got more to say about Kubo, but we're going to have to come back to it anyways. Yeah, I definitely don't want to slander Coco. I like it, but it's not... I don't, I don't find it to be very strong. Yeah, I mean, the voice cast of Kubo is pretty fucking impressive, too. You've got Charlize Theron, you've got uh, Rooney Mara, George Takai, uh, Matthew McConaughey... Uh, it's it's kind of stacked. I think a lot more people would like this if they gave it a shot, whereas Coco's a Pixar movie. Oh, boy. This is the cursed round. We've got Boss Baby versus Ferdinand. Uh, Alec Baldwin versus Channing or John Cena. I almost said Channing Tatum. Well, when you put it that way. Uh, it's John Cena easily. I think I have a, 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 a I have a this is Boss Baby is probably the movie that I hate the most on this entire bracket. I can't believe that it got made. It is so very clearly a dibby movie where it's literally just made to market uh, little guys with big heads it's viscerally unfunny and viscerally upsetting to watch and it got a TV show that is just a thousand times worse. Yeah, I didn't watch uh, Ferdinand. I don't think I've seen all of Boss Baby either. I feel like there were so many trailers for Boss Baby. Like, they were really trying to sell this shit to the masses. I think they were trying to ride off of, like, the cutesy success of, like, Minions and stuff, and they're like, everyone loves babies. What if we had one voiced by Alec Baldwin, and he's doing a bunch of, like, references to Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, which is gonna go over every single child in the audience's head and probably even honestly most the millennial parents uh ferdinand looked like a cutesy forgettable kids movie i don't think either one of these deserved a nomination but i i kind of (laughs) ferdinand is the least offensive i kind of think ferdinand's the better choice here i feel like john cena's good casting i feel like alec baldwin is horrible casting for a baby that's a boss All right, we've got the breadwinner versus Loving Vincent. Here's where we have to give some love to the breadwinner before we move on Loving Vincent. (laughs) Yeah, let's let's talk about the breadwinner. I, I love the story. It's very good. It's it's a Mulan, but better. Um, in, in, like as far as story goes, I think. Yeah, it's like Mulan if it was set in like Taliban ruled Afghanistan instead of like feudal Japan. It's Mulan if it had any like heart wrenching qualities to it. Hmm. Like to put it simply, she cuts off her hair to pretend to be a boy because she keeps getting persecuted for being a girl in in uh, I forget what the country is. It's one of those Middle Eastern ones. Afghanistan, there you go. And she does that to like sell stuff on the side of the street as like a little boy, makes money from her fa- for her family so they can escape the country. Beautiful story, really good animation. It's not 
you know the best i don't think that it it's the, it's isn't it the same people that made song of the sea uh well tom moore did produce it yes uh so did angelina jolie and a few others as well this was kind of more of like a bigger kind of collective but yes it was uh animated by uh cartoon saloon who worked alongside tom moore and his other movies it, it's beautiful but loving vincent is a is honestly one of the most unique movies ever created in the history of the world uh we could talk more about that later we could bring up the big selling point of loving vincent right now if we really want to but we're gonna have to later we'll just move on with loving vincent right now because i feel like we we all got a lot to say and it's gonna go up against some big competition soon i agree but i do think the breadwinner is a great movie if the seating was a little bit different and like i don't know this wasn't paired up against like ferdinand i think the breadwinner could be potential final four material but not against Loving Vincent. All right, now to some superhero animated films because there weren't enough superhero movies in the 2010s. We've got Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse versus Disney Pixar's Incredibles 2, a.k.a. You're Late, 15 Years Too Late. I don't think that this one is a competition at all. For once, you're right. We can talk about the things we like about Incredibles 2, but ultimately I think Spider-Verse should have had a better seed in this entire list because it shouldn't go up next to against the loving vincent in the next round that that's kind of upsetting to me sorry cape shit i was gonna i was gonna try to defend incredibles 2 i was gonna try you want to give it a shot guy who released a video essay called incredibles 2 might suck after watching a trailer (laughs) let's hear it (laughs) i mean Animation-wise, Spider-Verse is really unique, uh, but I feel like we can't deny that Incredibles 2, uh, despite its flaws, still looks great. It still has that uh, that timeless aesthetic. I like that they did give um, more scenes to Elastigirl because the first one was very Mr. Incredible's story. I think it was cool that we kind of saw another uh, character's perspective. Uh it, it would have been cooler, yeah, if this came out a couple of years before, because I think if you did four Incredibles movies and then have the perspective be each member of the Incredibles, this could actually be a really interesting franchise. But of course, that's not where they went. And here we are like 15 years later. But maybe they maybe they do want to continue that. I don't know. But uh it's cool they had to take place right after the first one. The sequence with the Underminer was really cool. I like the whole scene with Mr. Incredible's car. That's fun. Uh, it's got a Pixar third act villain, but I like that the uh, uh, I like that the brother of the villain, I guess, spoiler, uh, that he's so nostalgic over the old-time superheroes and that. Yeah, I like that he's not in on the scheme. He's just an idiot who's getting conned. Yeah, that was refreshing, too. Like, it, it's, it had really good elements. It just didn't go for it. It didn't have that Pixar heart that the first one had. It didn't it felt like a studio movie which is a damn shame because they got Brad Bird and the original voice cast back minus like the people who voiced the kids in the original. I think I think Violet stayed the same but Dash and Jack-Jack were replaced or something like that. The sequence with Jack Jack-Jack and the squirrel. The raccoon, yeah. Yeah, it's got really, really good parts. I think the movie... There's a lot of things I like about it. The movie really falls off for me when the when those other superheroes 
came around. I just, I didn't care. That's kind of how I felt about Spider, Spider-Man Spider Into the Spider-Verse. I really liked Miles' story, but once those other Spider-People got in, and then by the time you were introduced to them, they were already out of there by the time the climax happened, and it was just like, oh, okay. Like, the, the movie's title is Spider-Verse, and I feel like we only really got to go into two main Spider-Man, but I hope that changes for the sequel. Oscar Isaac as Spider-Man 2099, that could be really... I will say, I really, really did like an Incredibles. I know you're saying you if you fell off with it when they introduced the new heroes. The one thing I love about the new heroes that they added, even if they're just side characters, is that the Incredibles are very much like golden age 60s heroes. Like they are very much like that's that's what they're supposed to be. Even though they're in like a in like a ambiguous timed world, that's what they are. They represent like golden age heroes. And then you introduce these new ones with weird like portal powers, crushing powers, lava, whatever, all these weird powers. They're supposed to represent like the 70s and 80s, like these new weird superheroes that that they started churning out because like you know the old ones were old and they were like okay let's see what else we can throw at the wall and see what sticks i appreciated that because it did feel like a nod to what they had started it felt like a nod to like what what was the point of the original incredibles and what they represented to like let's let's see like this is where it would naturally go there would be more of them and these ones should represent that era of superheroes and i think that's really cool i uh i think incredibles 2 isn't a it's straight up offensively bad movie by any means it just doesn't live up to the first in a way that really really hurts as someone who likes the first incredibles movie as much as i do but there's there's it wasn't entirely a hack job they they did they did put an effort and the animation alone is is good but compared to something that has as much visual flair as spider-verse i don't even care for the story of spider-verse that much if i'm being completely honest it's all in the the music and the visuals for me that elevate that movie as far as it goes all right up next we've got isle of dogs versus um, uh, mirai which uh josh if i had a gun pointed at your head and you had to answer this question is Murai a Studio Ghibli movie? What would your answer be? Um, this could be a really racist answer for me. Uh, no, it's a simple yes or no, because I thought up until 30 seconds ago that it was, and I had to fact check <laughs> myself so I didn't come off as a bigot. Yeah, yeah, because I, I assumed it was a Studio Ghibli movie, not based on what it looks like, just based on the Japanese animated movies have all been Studio Ghibli so far, I believe. Yeah, no, I think that that's actually the biggest feat of this, is it was uh, it was the first movie by Studio Chizo to be, or Chizo maybe, to be uh, nominated for a Best Animated Feature, another breakout animated studio. Studio Cheetos? Isle of Dogs, uh, another Wes Anderson movie. We talked about Fantastic Mr. Fox last week on the show. Um, and Isle of Dogs is, in a way, kind of a spiritual successor to that, but also very much its own thing. Leans into Japanese culture quite a bit and has a, uh, a great voice cast. If you like Fantastic Mr. Fox, they use the same recording techniques with this, but you get, like, Brian Cranston in a lead role. You've got uh, uh, just an awesome ensemble, a lot of the, the usuals, but uh, Edward Norton comes back from Moonrise Kingdom. You know, great, great cast here playing the ensemble. I don't really care for Mirai. I watched the year it got nominated just kind of assuming that it was going to be uh, groundbreaking because most of the movies that came out of Japan in the 2010s I think to some capacity were 
but uh, I think Wes Anderson ripping off uh, <laughs> Japanese art style in a stop motion animated film was like way better uh, than a pretty forgettable fantasy comedy coming of age family movie that uh, Mirai is. I did a bunch of research on this one and there was nothing about it that I saw that was interesting or that I thought that I, I would like or that I would care for if I even watched it in you know and this, you know, coming from a biased place because I fucking love Isle Dogs. There's nothing about this movie that made me even want to watch it, unlike literally every other movie that I haven't seen on this list. I think Isle of Dogs moves on, Alden, unless you got a scorcher. Uh, no, I'm I'm on Isle of Dogs' side here. Yeah, I really like Isle of Dogs. All right, we've got How to Train Your Dragon 3, The Hidden World versus Toy Story 4. Is the is How to Train Your Dragon 3 the, the one where the guy grew a beard? Uh, yes. Toy Story 4 is really weird for me because I don't think it should have ever happened but i think rashida jones did not write a bad script for it i feel like if it's a standalone thing it's fine it's fun but it just it didn't need to happen i feel like it feels more like what i was expecting from toy story 3 in a weird way um because i think the story makes some interesting interesting decisions and differences from the first two movies in a way that toy story 3 doesn't but i also think it loses a lot of its character and charm it's Substitutes that for better animation, which doesn't matter when it comes to Pixar. Their oldest and worst movies hold up for me. And How to Train Your Dragon 3 is fine. It's not as good as the second one in any capacity, but it's a little bit better than the first. I really like the arc with uh, to- uh, Hiccup's mom, and I think that like Toothless having a love interest is fucking whatever. It feels like something out of an Alvin and the Chipmunks movie, but what well, it happened. It was fine. You know what? You know what makes me mad about Toy Story Four is if you start the movie when like Woody sneaks into like the backpack when they go to when they go to like kindergarten, first day of kindergarten. From then on, you could just call this movie like like a Woody spinoff movie, and that works completely fine. Take out some of the buzz scenes. Why wasn't this just a Woody spinoff movie? It should have been. You, wh- why put it under this Toy Story franchise when it already had this great trilogy? And it's obvious by the end of Toy Story 4, because they're going to do a Toy Story 5. No doubt. At some point, we're going to get a fifth one. It's obvious that they're splitting off the gang so they could do a Toy Story 5. They had an opportunity to do a spinoff that still would have been offensive, but not as offensive to the fans of the original trilogy. I'm. This sounds like I'm talking about Star Wars when I don't say the word Toy Story now. I think it's just such a shame as someone who grew up absolutely adoring the first two Toy Story movies. I mean, I watched them almost every day. Wow. I shit you not, both of them almost every day of my life from the time I was like one and a half to probably four years old. I loved those movies. They were they were my like source for entertainment for such a long time. I think it's such a crying shame we got Toy Story 3 and 4. They're fucking bad movies in my opinion in terms of they just don't have that that heart that like i mean they try they have the schmaltzy music and the the reprise of you've got a friend in me but at the end of the day i don't think woody's a good friend at the end of toy story 4 i think he's a fucking scumbag and it, it's just devastating i fuck toy story 4 i can't believe jory thought i defended this shit <laughs> hate the how, how to train your dragon movies i think that they're ugly i think that the characters are are unremarkable. I hate the fact that there's a love interest for Toothless in this new one. <laughs> I don't like the dragon layer. I don't like Hiccup's mom. I'm picking How to Train Your Dragon 3, though, because I am so 
morally and viscerally offended by the fact that Toy Story 4 even exists. All right, so it looks like uh, How to Train Your Dragon 3 gets by the uh, skin of its teeth. We've got uh, Wreck-It Ralph 2, Ralph Breaks the Internet, versus uh, I Lost My Body. Take it away, Alden. Yeah, this is an Alden round. Alden, let's hear it, man. Well, I haven't I haven't seen the other one. It's not great. Uh, but yeah, no, I was not expecting very much from Ralph Breaks the Internet. I honestly, like low expectations i i was initially going to watch it in the background and it just caught my attention pretty quick um as soon as they go into the internet it it just kicks off um and i think it's funny that they're making fun of like disney princesses and then um they say like she's from the other studio all of that i think it's it's pacing is it pretty consistent throughout the entire thing wait do they make fun of the woman from brave and say she's from the other studio yeah that's great that's better than the entire movie of brave in that one line (laughs) (laughs) she goes to another school that's funny they're that self-aware about brave yeah but i definitely think this is a better ready player one than Ready Player One. It's definitely a better emoji movie than the emoji movie. I'll give you that. Without a doubt. I really like this. I think it's a good succession to the original. I don't know. Normally on uh, normally on sequels like this, I'm completely let down. I will say that's a really good poster. I, I watched uh, I Lost My Body for the first time today. I have a natural disdain for Ralph Breaks the Internet. I think that it's it makes me mad that it exists. I think it, it does nothing original. Like, I, I like the jokes that Alden pointed out, to be honest. I do think it's got some some good goofs in it. I hate the title. The, the, the title's terrible because it's literally referencing Kim Kardashian's ass. Ralph Wrecks the Internet should have been the title. It should have been, but it's not. It's a reference to, to Kim Kardashian's ass photo. I think that I Lost My Body deserves to beat it. Not because I think it's... I, I think that it's a better movie, but only because it actually seems to care about what it's saying and doing. The I think the ending um, of uh, I Lost My Body is pretty bad. It sets up a pretty interesting... It sets up a pretty interesting story, like a really cool dynamic. The, the setup is really interesting. You've got a severed hand crawling through the city trying to reach back trying to get back to the main character it's his hand and you can tell it's his hand because they set it up from the very beginning it's got he's got a particular mole on his hand and you they show it all the time and so you know that it's his hand trying to get back to him but he's got both of his hands why is his hand trying to get back he's got both of them and they set up this interesting story it's a love story also he's he's trying to woo that girl and it has a weird evan hansenness to it where uh he's kind of a creep but it's 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 better in the sense that evan hansen is an overt creep he's like just a dumb guy and he's trying his very best I, i think it's really cute there were actually some moments where i was at work and i was watching this movie and there were some of the scenes between the two of them. And I could feel it in my stomach. I was like, oh shit, I should not be watching this at work. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get all sad and shit at work. And I think that it's a more complete and and more reputable and better movie overall than Ralph Breaks the Internet. Three, I think both of these movies kind of unfortunately lean in the camp of just being forgettable. Because although I do think the chemistry between the two characters and I Lost My Body is the strongest element of it, I think the romance arc is the best part of the movie by a lot. I, I also think it's it's actually just like a part of the movie. Like there's stuff at the beginning and there's stuff at the end that just don't connect to that at all. It, it feels kind of like how Soul has an interesting setup. I know that's a Pixar movie that we'll have to talk about when we talk about 2020 uh, best animated picture noms. Is this a trilogy? Not 
yet. We have to finish this fucking decade if that's possible. I might not be here, but someone will be. <laughs> it's like when a character just swaps their soul with a, a animal for no fucking reason. It's like, I don't want to be watching this. Get me back to, like, the emotional stuff and, like, the... The, the hand stuff is really fun to watch, though. It's really entertaining. It's well, it's well animated. It's the best animated parts of the movie, I will say that. But you're right, though. There are a lot of parts in... Uh, in, in I Lost My Body that are so disconnected from the story that, like, they don't even need to be there. Like, this could have been, a, like, a 30-minute short film. Like, the parts about his parents dying and him, like, recording stuff with his microphone, like... I think if Ralph Breaks the Internet came out a little closer to the first movie, I think this would be an entirely different conversation because I think it would uh, just feel like a, a sequel. But because there was, like, six or seven years in between, I feel like there's, like, people coming to Ralph Wreck-It Ralph 2, like, it's some sort of... Um, some sort of like Toy Story 3 kind of situation and I think that's why people were really let down by it. I don't I don't hate Ralph Breaks the Internet. I don't think it's a great movie by any means, but I do think it has a lot of the same comedic tone and uh, it has good gags all the way through. I'm not bored watching either one of these movies, but I think I think more people would get with the kinetic kind of joke a minute Ralph Breaks the Internet stuff. I don't think the story is as good as the first one, but I think it's, it's a fine film. I don't really care either way here. I, I just think both these movies are overrated as shit. I think that I Lost My Body actually tries something. Yeah, it does. It tries to say something to you, even if it comes across really muddled and a little bit clunky. I think that I Lost My Body tries something. Where Ralph Breaks the Internet... To me, feels like a like a studio machine has created it. Yeah, Alden, what new ground does Ralph breaks uh, breaks the internet uh, push for you? I don't know. I don't really think there's a whole lot new going on there, but I do appreciate the dynamic and the conflict between uh, Ralph and um, I don't know Von Schweetz, whatever her name is, Penelope Von Schweetz. Josh, if uh, you had to watch one of these movies for the first time, which are you picking? Are you going to go with the safe choice, the movie that's a sequel to the movie that you liked enough uh, to talk about earlier, or are you watching this um, one about a guy losing his arm and uh, his parents dying and he falls in love with someone? I'd probably go with the more experimental one like ralph breaks the internet i've had every opportunity to watch that movie and i just haven't <laughs> yeah i think it's just chilling on disney plus waiting for someone to click on it <laughs> yeah just begging for someone to watch it all right i lost my body can move on and uh the final round of the right side of the bracket is that missing link <laughs> yes we've got klaus versus missing link i never thought we would hear we would say these words live on a podcast again missing link uh, you've definitely Definitely talked about Missing Link on this podcast multiple times. Both the movie and the podcast. Okay, mister, I don't remember any episode of the podcast. <laughs> I don't remember the outcomes. I can remember events. I want to hear a good take for Missing Link because I haven't seen it. I've seen people review it. And I, I think that it looks cute, but I have seen Klaus and there's a lot of like breakthrough 2D animation in it that I really enjoy. And I think that the story is like a cool take on like the idea of the origin of Santa Claus. But I haven't actually seen Missing Link, so I'd love to hear like a, an argument for it. I'm going to preface this with I love one of these movies and I could care less about the other. Uh, Klaus is a... 
uh, like origin story of sorts for the Santa Claus mythos and has uh, like a mail carrier essentially move to this like kind of far off uh, distant land and he has to solve like a conflict between these two like rival communities and uh, essentially uses this guy named Klaus to do that. Uh, it sets up the Santa Claus origin in a way that is pretty unique and very refreshing and Missing Link is a movie with like an A-list cast. You've got like Hugh Jackman, Zoe Zeldana, and like Zach Galifianakis as the Missing Link. Uh, and it's about this like explorer who is uh, trying to like chart new territories on a map and comes across like a Sasquatch dude that's like way more human than he ever was. And uh, I think that that's... Uh, like the, the relationship is kind of what makes this movie work. In a lot of ways, I feel like Missing Link feels like an early Pixar movie in certain regards because it has these kind of budding forces. It has like a Mike Wazowski and a uh, a Sully that are kind of like uh, at times pinned against each other but want the same exact outcome. And for that, I think that Missing Link kind of thrives in a old school kind of way. It totally underperformed and bombed in a huge way. This movie had a way higher budget than it needed because they went with like an A-list voice cast and uh, Klaus was a straight to Netflix movie that got critically high reviews. Yeah, I can tell you I love one of these movies and could give less of a shit about the other. Uh, for me, that's Klaus. I, 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 I enjoyed it. I didn't even like really think I was going to like it because I really don't care for Christmas movies most of the time. The, the, the animation itself, I, I actually looked in a long time ago into what they did to achieve the 2D animation that they have in Klaus, and they created like a new engine for recognizing what like these because they look at these characters you can barely see them in the poster but they're like they're these like super bulbous and misshapen and misformed uh like cartoon characters they're cartoon characters but they created this algorithm where they basically identified the contours of the face of a 2d character so it's still 2d but the computer knows where the shadows are supposed to be and so they could place a light in the scene and it would light them accordingly. So you have these really fluid, ridiculous, like like uh, squash and stretch 2D animations, but they're lit like they're 3D, and it looks so good. And then the story is like actually really, really good for for a Santa Claus origin. It's way better than it has any right to be. I did not cry once watching Klaus. I cried twice watching Klaus. The ending of this movie feels exactly like the ending of Monsters Inc., and I did not expect it to yeah i think klaus should move on just because i don't klaus is kino the missing link itself looks ugly and i hate his face (laughs) (laughs) fuck me uh these are the two best movies on the entire bracket i hate that they're pinned against each other (laughs) but i have to go with my heart it's sean the sheep the movie it speaks volumes to the human condition (laughs) god damn it i wasn't trying to crack there i think what sean the sheep is able to do in uh a feature length movie about i think it's like 95 minutes or something not a single line of dialogue is muttered in this film and it kept me captivated uh sitting alone in a completely empty theater watching it i thought that it's ardman's animation at its absolute best (laughs) when did this come out 2016 
maybe 2015. That sounds all right. This film uh, does a lot right. It it has that same kind of polish that the theatrically released Aardman movies have, um, but it has the tone of the early Wallace and Gromit shorts that I fucking love. Uh, this movie feels like one long slapstick, slapstick hijinks kind of movie, and it is so kinetic and doesn't skip a beat. It feels like what a Tom and Jerry-esque movie should be, where you're just watching this cat and mouse game for an entire hour and a half. Um, but every time a cartoon that has that kind of classic comedic dynamic uh, gets brought to the big screen, they're like, oh, we need to have, like, main characters, and we need to have these, like, human characters that are relatable, and, like, an arc, and all that. Sean the Sheep doesn't even really try. All of the sheep escape the fucking farm and go to London because they accidentally drug the farmer and send him into the city by himself, and he has a whole amnesia arc. And it's, it's, it's two things that I'd absolutely hate. An amnesia arc, and, like, a ragtag group of people trying to trying to find their friend like a boneless Pixar movie but it knocks it out of the fucking park Anomalisa is the most unique movie on this list and I think that what it has to say about uh, uh, coming of age uh, dying uh, uh, like sexual relations all of that shit all of the actual deep human level uh, uh, issues of our time and before our time is addressed in this very short and 80 minute experimental ass movie written by I think the best writer in Hollywood and I'm still picking Shaun the Sheep the movie over it because it seriously blew me away how simplistic and how strong a movie like this could be I think it took Ardman something like nine years to make uh, they really put their best team on it it is extremely polished extremely cinematic but doesn't lose that Saturday morning cartoon feel and for me I think it's the best way to turn a episodic show into a feature length film uh, Anomalisa is great but it's not even in my top five Charlie Kaufman movies I just can't believe you would say that Sean the Sheep the movie has so much to say about the human condition up against a Anomalisa, which is quite literally about the human condition. That's exactly in every conceivable way. <laughs> in like that's entirely what it is. Um, I, I'm gonna bring up because I knew that I was. I, I didn't want to bring it up when we first were talking about Anomalisa. One of my favorite things about Anomalisa. Alden, Josh, have you seen this movie? No. No. My my favorite thing about it is that you have three voice actors in the entire movie. There's so many people in it, though. You ha it's it's basically this dichotomy of like you have the main character, who's got his own voice actor. I forget his name. And then you've got uh, like the main love interest, who her name is Lisa. There's a reason why he calls her Anomalisa. It's part of the story. Those are the two only voice actors. There's one more guy, and he voices every single other character, including but not limited to the main character's ex-wife, wife, the main character's uh, son. Um, every single human being he interacts with, from the taxi driver to the bellboy to the guy at the front desk to uh, every person working at a desktop to every person in the bar that he goes to, every person working at the hotel, every single human being he interacts with. And that's part of the story is that he feels like every other human being is just the same amalgamous blob of person. And he hates it. And he hates talking to people because he hates hearing the same 
shitty thing and he goes home to his family and he hears his wife and his son and they have the same voice and they're having a surprise like welcome home party for him but they they everybody sounds the same he doesn't even know who these people are and then he meets lisa who has this unique in like distinct voice and she sat and he falls in love with her immediately and like they have there's this like very intimate very real sex scene that's like choreographed in such a way to feel like something that might happen in real life where it's like it, it doesn't it doesn't do the hollywood thing where it's just like it's just like they fall into each other's arms and then fade to black it's like they literally go through every little like awkward detail of what it's like to hook up with somebody the next morning he's like he's like he's like i love you i'm gonna leave my my wife for you I, I i want this to happen and can i spoil like this this twist yes okay and then what ends up happening is they start talking about this and she's like yeah yeah let's do it let's do it you can tell you i'm okay with this like let's do it and as they start having this conversation her voice starts to morph into the other voice the voice that he hears from everybody else and she starts doing things that he sees that he doesn't like like she chooses with her mouth full or like uh she like 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 uh lets food dribble out of her mouth or just little things little tiny things that you see that like might bother you in a person and he immediately starts to her voice completely morphs into this amorphous blob of voice that everybody else has and he realizes like oh fuck like there is no escape there is no like there is no like like love at first sight where i can just escape this he's just like this is this is just me i'm broke the script sounds great the only negative from all that is it sounds so depressing it is and that is a negative you're right you can watch sean the sheep the movie and not feel like afterwards you have to go kill yourself it's a charlie kaufman movie though every single one of his movies leaves me in that exact mindset and i i think that's why it works so well uh the only reason i don't have the same love for it is I feel like everything you described is like the experience you get on the first watch whereas every single one of his other movies I have this like this deep sense to want to re-watch it and get a different perspective on it and like uh, whether it be even movies that he only wrote and not directed being John Malkovich or Adaptation uh, or his more recent efforts like Synecdoche New York and I'm thinking of ending things there's like this gravitas to every single single decision made where depending on the mindset in which you're in there's another interpretation there's another layer there's another thing that just adds more to it um but dude i mean you you got the point of the movie in the first fucking go it took a lot of me and my friends when anomalisa came out multiple viewings i went and saw anomalisa in theaters three times the year it came out uh just because i it had that richness and that depth to it and i was like i gotta fucking it's one of those movies that inspired me to actually act actively pursue filmmaking because uh, there's nothing else like it ever. There probably will never be another movie like it. And the closest thing to it is other Charlie Kaufman movies, but those all have like real actors and have, um, you know, live action portrayals of these same themes. What's that other is, is, is I'm thinking of ending things, a Kaufman movie. Yes. 
written and directed. Because, like, as far as Kaufman movies go, I'm pretty sure that's the only other one that, like, compares to this one for me, like, as, as like, a experience. And that one is even more, like, hard to grasp. Like, you kind of really have to think about that one to understand what it's even about at all. Yeah, I watched it two times back to back just because I was like, what the fuck did I just watch? Uh, let me spend three hours again to watch it again, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm willing to accept the fact that I'm probably gonna lose this one. I just, I've watched Shaun the Sheep the movie more than once. I have not watched Anomalisa more than once. I watched it today between phone calls and it still racked me. <laughs> but I do agree. I think that if you rewatched Anomalisa, if I rewatched Anomalisa, I, I probably would not have the same visceral reaction. I think why Shaun the Sheep the movie should be elevated in this scenario is when it comes to the other film, we're still getting movies like I'm thinking of anything. It's like beyond animation, we're still getting films like those. It's not like this genre stopped. I don't know if we're going to get another Shaun the Sheep the movie. Like, this is a... Well, Netflix greenlit a sequel. It came out and no one watched it. <laughs> to the surprise of no one. That's kind of the issue here is, but I I love, like, Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit. I sung the praises in the DreamWorks video. So, it's just like, I... And when it comes to that Tom and Jerry-like uh, slapstick humor, which I don't want to say it's like a smart humor, but it's well choreographed and well written and we don't get movies like that anymore like we just talked about Fernanan and whatever like that's just whole movie I'm sure full of John Cena saying one liners which is fine but like we get like 20 of those movies a year now we get Sean the Sh we get a movie like Sean the Sheep the movie like it took nine years to make it we get it almost every decade uh, Alden where are you leaning on this one between uh, Sean the Sheep the movie and Anomalisa uh, see I was like on a Sean the Sheep kind of gang for a minute but Amelisa seems like a way stronger movie John you did such a good job defending a movie that I absolutely fucking love I think I'm gonna have to give up my Sean the Sheep the movie agenda here I, I genuinely think that Anomalisa is the best animated movie of the 2010s uh, even if the elements of Sean the Sheep the movie are what I look for in an animated movie uh, Anomalisa transcends the genre or the, the category in my opinion the fact that this didn't get a best picture nomination but fucking up in toy story 3 did is an insult to the entire industry anomalisa is a masterpiece uh, it's just not my favorite of kaufman's masterpieces well we're talking about animated movies so that makes sense let me just say though I, every time I did my bracket, I always made Anomalisa lose to Shaun the Sheep because I figured that that was never going to happen. This is not, in all, I, I'm like, I'm Doctor Strange right now. Yeah, I don't know what's going up against Rango for finals. I did not have Rango in the finals either, so this is nuts. <laughs> I didn't either. I, I mean, I love Rango, but I, this is not where I expected this to go even a little bit. All right, up next we've got My Life as a Zucchini versus Moana. Mm, Moana? I really really like Moana, but I feel like My Life as a Zucchini might be a better pick. I definitely think for the category it makes more sense. I mean, but again... But would it make more sense for the category? Because, like, it, it has... I'm sure it has a really good story, but Moana, you also have the music and the visuals, like, the water and the sand look great in that movie. It's always nice seeing uh, advancements in the, like, software and technology that 
Disney is built for their movies, but at the same time, it's just the same thing slightly better every time, whereas My Life as a Zucchini is a fairly unique art style. I don't know. I'd argue this one's a little different, though, in, especially in the sequence when The Rock is singing You're Welcome, and they cut to, like, his muscle tattoos, and the, it turns into, like, a little 2D animation there, and I really like that. I think this movie's a little more unique than what we give credit for, compared to, like, Frozen. That's kind of where my argument for this leans is from an artistic standpoint, I don't think Moana does a whole lot new with its story that we haven't seen before, but I think what it does with its presentation is pretty great. I mean, the water looks about as good as the water in Finding Dory, which came out the same year. You know, the the voice acting is, for the most part, celebrity voice casting, but they found a no-name for Moana, and there was a great, great, great depth to find the right person to play that role. And I feel like Moana does a better job of capturing the heights that the Disney Renaissance reached than Tangled, Frozen, Princess and the Frog. Is is someone playing the Moana soundtrack or am I losing my mind? I can't hear it. You're losing your mind. Are you playing the Moana soundtrack, Josh? I, I heard singing from somebody's. I, I can see the argument either way. I think I have to cast my vote as my life as a zucchini. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm good with that moving on. I like Moana a lot. It's actually one of my favorites uh, as far as like those, as far as like a Disney princesses and Pixar movies go. I really enjoyed it. I loved watching it in theaters. Yeah, it's in my top three Disney princesses movies. I think My Life as a Zucchini has such a stronger emotional core. Alright, we got Kubo and the Two Strings versus Ferdinand, which Ferdinand got the yeah, you're cool pass up against Boss Baby, and Kubo and the Two Strings uh, sing the praises of already. I, I think this is a no contest unless someone's got a hot take. We don't need to spend time on this one I don't think. I agree. Kubo and the Two Strings is moving on. <sighs> Loving Vincent versus Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. I hate that th- this is what I was talking about. I hate that this is a match up because these two should have been on opposite sides of the bracket. I could easily see this one. I did this by chronological order. I'm sorry they came out one year after the next. I'm not I'm not shitting on you. I'm just saying I could see these two being the final two choices and we'd us having to choose between them because like I kind of agree with that. It's a, such an innovative movie even for a superhero movie. It's such an overrated movie. You have Loving Vincent which is a movie made of 65,000 oil paintings and and th- that alone is like no movie on this entire bracket, no matter what way you slice it, has that much love and effort put into it where you had oil painters working day and night to create 60 5,000 paintings that created a film about a, about a beloved artist in his style. Going into Loving Vincent, I... I knew of, of what, like, the animation would be in a style, but um, I didn't know much of the story or anything. I just thought it was like a, like a tribute to Vincent Van Gogh, and little did I know, it's pretty much a noir about his death, which I personally never really, like, looked into it all that much. Like, I knew what happened to the guy, but, like, outside of, like, learning it in school, never really, like, dabbled in it. So I found myself, like, very immersed in uh, uh, this main character visiting all these different people and giving their perspectives. And and you find out, as you go through it, you can't trust some of these narrators when they talk about Vincent. And 
really you end the movie not really knowing who tells the truth. You think you kind of get the definitive answer, but it leaves kind of open-ended, which I really like. But uh, we talked about it before recording, Nate. Uh, the movie goes a little too long. I think it could be cut down about 20 minutes and be a stronger film for it. Like, I feel like they could have saved about 25,000 <laughs> uh, hand-drawn paintings and made it a little bit more efficient. I was uh, just the animation is fantastic top notch the flashbacks that are in black and white like you could tell me there are shot like live action and i would believe you i know kind of they were but like they all of it was rotoscoped that that is that's one thing to say like it's to say that it's all oil paintings is absolutely true because there's but that the other thing is they did paint over other oil paintings so there's not actually 65,000 paintings out there of this movie they did paint over them because that's how you would do regular animation you know you have the previous frame you look it over you draw over the next one so the the logical conclusion was okay we take this one take a picture of it draw over it make it look like the next one so there's not actually 65,000 paintings here and it was rotoscoped it was they shot all of the shots and then they painted those shots but that being said this movie feels like a fucking acid trip like I, I I am I allowed to say this on the podcast I've done a bunch of I've done a bunch of acid. Yeah, fuck it. (laughs) It's probably my favorite drug of choice. If you want to know what being on acid is like from a visual standpoint, not like an emotional and physical standpoint, but like from a a visual, just like what you might see, this is probably very, very close if if you never want to do it. It is, but, and that's not a sell point. That's just like a testament to what it looks like when you stitch oil paintings together to look like a, a film in the style of Vincent Van Gogh. I think anyone who knows me knows that Amadeus is one of my all time favorite movies. And I feel like loving Vincent is kind of, uh, celebrating uh, uh, an artist in the same way that Amadeus celebrates Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. I, I mean this in the sense that if if Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart hopped in Bill and Ted's time machine and had the knowledge of making a movie about his own life, he would have made the movie Amadeus. And I feel that same way about loving Vincent. If Vincent Van Gogh was thrown in a fucking TARDIS and brought to 2018 or 17 when this movie was released, and was told to make a movie about his life this is the movie he that that he would have made and i i think that that is such a beautiful way to capture an artist's life and more importantly his death from this disjointed kind of almost interview and testimonial kind of perspective because he was an artist who died a poor and like broken man and his his art became so much more appreciated after he was gone and that is totally resonant throughout this entire fucking film and even though the visuals are fucking beautiful the things that are within the painting are bleak and sad and moody and depressing and and to to follow your point uh Sakula I've never done acid but I've done mushrooms and I know what the come down of a psychedelic trip is and I feel like the emotions of this movie have that same sense of humility and grounding you to what's going on visually 
visually, and I, I think that this this movie is is a, a tier above almost everything we've talked about. And I feel bad that it's paired up against Into the Spider Verse here because in terms of mainstream accessibility and pushing the boundaries of animation in a successful superhero movie, it does it all. I think I put this at, like my second favorite Spider Man movie of all time, and I'd only seen it once at the time. Uh, Loving Vincent, on the uh, on the contrary, is a movie I've seen uh, two times, and each time has stuck with me and has made like the the way I've processed every encounter of my next day dependent on how I felt watching this movie. In the same way that your perspective can be changed from doing drugs or experiencing some sort of high art, I, I think that Loving Vincent blows Spider Verse out of the water. I want to hear an argument for Spider Verse before we pick Loving Vincent because I feel like it's really not a contest as much as it should be. That's why I hate that these movies are pinned against each other. Uh, Alden, do you have a Spider-Man hot take here? Uh, not really. I mean, I can give praises on the uh, comic book animation style that they just absolutely perfected, but it's it's just like, you can't compare that to legit oil paintings. I don't know. It's definitely refreshing to see a Miles Morales story told as well as it was and in a mainstream context. Yeah, as Uncle dies and he learns about great power comes great responsibility. It's a really original story, guys. Again, Josh is racist, but... Well, his uncle's a supervillain. He's not like Uncle Ben. <laughs> yeah, for like a scene. For like a, for like one scene. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I disagree with Josh and the other spider people. Like, I really appreciated all of their presence. Uh, I think, like, the... I appreciate them, but it doesn't become a Spider-Verse movie until literally the last 10 minutes. I have a Van Gogh painting right next to me, guys. We need to move on. I have one in here, too. And of course, nobody's getting get, get confused because they still have Peter Parker in the beginning of the movie. It, there's, there's so much Peter Parker in this movie. I wish it kind of... I wish it took... I wish it had more miles in it. That's what I'm hoping for the sequel. I agree. Well, uh, yeah, I, I'm pretty confident that the sequel will be more of what I personally wanted out of this, but I don't know. I don't have too much to say about it. I really enjoy it. I can watch it over and over, but it's just... That's true. I don't think I could watch uh, Loving Vincent like four days in a row, but I could probably I could probably have Spider-Verse on in the background four days in a row and be totally ex- like fine with myself. Yeah. All right. Loving Vincent uh, finds a way. Up next, we've got Isle of Dogs versus How to Train Your Dragon 3. I think this is probably a speed round, right? No one's got yeah. a hot take for How to Train Isle Your Dragon Dog. 3. Yeah. Okay, cool. No. <laughs> Sick. Uh, I lost my body or Klaus. For me, this is a no contest. Yeah, no, another speed round Klaus. Yeah, it could be Klaus. Klaus is Christmas Kino. Something that we need more of. Yeah, I agree. All right. Uh, Namalisa versus uh, <clears throat> my life, a, uh, a zucchini. That's a matchup. Is it? I mean, I know it's one-sided, but I, this is an interesting matchup. I think tonally they're very unique movies in this category. I think that one of them deals with, uh, I guess, you know, what it means to be alive in a way that is, like, 
very somber and depressing and self-reflective and the other is like well this situation sucks and yeah you're dead because of it but we can have some fun with that still so like if these were concept albums like if i were to like experience these two different movies in a different art form the way that i appreciate art more i'd be leaning with zucchini but because these are movies and through the narrative language of film I value those somber, kind of more reflective takes. I'm going with Anomalisa here. But if like, this was like, I don't know, Bjork versus like, Oingo Boingo, I'm going with Oingo Boingo. <laughs> I'm going with Anomalisa, um, but I, I, I have to defend my life as a zucchini. I, I, what I was gonna say before, the side characters, the friends at the orphanage, are so well written and characterized. Um, they have this moment where they go through in the early part of the movie where they talk, like the, the red-headed kid explains um, to Zucchini all of the traits of the, the orphan. Every single one of them has had something in their lives happen that has made them act a certain way. And you actually see like the way that they react based on how they were treated. I don't know. Like I said, my, my camp is in Anomalisa. I want to fight for... Uh, uh, for zucchini, but I, I don't know that I can. Yeah, I, I think you you gave a good defense, but it's Anomalisa. <laughs> Up next, Kubo and the Two Strings versus Loving Vincent. Can we talk about the twist in Kubo? Sure. Yeah. I didn't predict Kubo's twist at all. I didn't see it coming even from a light year away. It was just kind of in the background, and then it was like, oh, by the way, here's this, and I was like, oh shit. Um, where that those are his parents. That's wild. <laughs> wasn't expecting that. It was a nice twist. It didn't feel like it was like slapped on, but it did feel like I was like, oh, I really, really wasn't expecting this. Yeah, it's a twist that adds a little bit more to the story, but it doesn't necessarily feel like earned. Like, it doesn't set it up in the same way like Spirited Away kind of sets it up because it has like the same twist as a lot of these animated movies where it's like, ooh, these like supporting characters that guide this character through a journey turn out to be their parents. It's like, okay, this is a weird like kind of like twist that is reoccurring through a lot of these. Um, and including Coco itself, except grandparent, but same same thing. Uh, but I, I do think that it also doesn't take away from the movie either. It very the characters don't change after it's revealed that they're his parents. They continue to help him in the same way that they've been helping him the whole time. It's just he's now learned this information and is like, oh damn, it, it be that way. I feel like Kubo and the Two Strings might be a better blend between that accessible, my parents don't have to lean over and ask me what the hell's going on in the movie, and this higher art form. Uh, I think I said earlier it's the second best looking 2D animated movie, or, or stop motion animated movie on this list. Well, my number one was Shaun the Sheep the movie. I'm still surprised. I think that this matchup should have been Shaun the Sheep versus Loving Vincent based on what you were going with. I, I'm kind of torn here because I think Loving Vincent is the more unique movie and is the better art piece. But I think Kubo has a lot of artistic value within itself as well. And to top that off, I feel like it's a movie just about anyone could sit down and enjoy. If they can sit through a Star War, they can sit through Kubo and the Two Strings. Here's my problem with putting Kubo above Loving Vincent in this ranking, which has nothing to do with these two movies in and of themselves, really. But it's that I can't put Kubo and the Two Strings above Spider-Verse. That, that bothers me. And that's why I, I think that those two shouldn't have been matched up so soon. 
soon because like if Kubo goes over the Spider Verse and it's like what is anything? Are we like what is life? My, I I disagree. I think I would be putting up a fight for Kubo against Spider Verse. In all honesty, I just put Loving Vincent though on par, like in a totally different tier than a lot of these movies on this bracket where. I don't want to say, like, animated movies are, like, uh, lesser than live action, but I just from a personal standpoint, I've just always preferred live action. But Loving Vincent, I would put on par, like, if you had to tell me, like, the top 10 movies of 2017, I think this came out, Loving Vincent's probably on there, and it is debating with, like, other movies that came out that year, some of the movies that are nominated for Best Picture, I could definitely i would definitely rewatch loving vincent before i watch like fucking what was the movie that gary oldman played winston churchill the darkest hour the darkest hour yeah no i i agree i think loving vincent is a tier above kubo and the two strings but i think that kubo and the two strings would give it a better run for its money than a spider verse personally hey, kubo deserves all of the praise in the world and if you haven't seen it then you're missing the fuck out it is it's a fantastic film yeah I think Loving Vincent should move on, but yes, please watch Kubo and the Two Strings if you haven't yet. Up next, we've got Isle of Dogs versus Klaus, and I think that this is a fair fight. Yeah, I agree. I uh, think that Isle of Dogs is a very, very good movie. I think it fits in with the rest of Wes uh, Wes Anderson's uh, filmography quite well, but I don't think it brings anything new to the table for his aesthetic or his art style than coming back to what he did with Fantastic Mr. Fox and telling that in a different setting, telling it in a, a maybe a more bleak setting than the kind of colorful whimsy that Fantastic Mr. Fox finds itself in. But for me, the holiday season's right around the corner, and talking about Klaus earlier made me really freaking eager to rewatch this movie. I watched it for the first time last holiday season, and I it it knocked my socks off. It, it immediately moved its way up into like my top ten, top twenty favorite Christmas movies of all time. And I think for a new movie to do that is incredibly difficult to uh, to achieve. And I think the animation style is awesome. I think the characterization there's like five or six major support characters in this movie that get a pretty well-developed arc, uh, whether it be like the school teacher that the mailman befriends to even the fisherman uh, boat guy played by Norm MacDonald, rest in peace, you fucking legend. Oh, God. His character's so good in that movie. Klaus has so much going for it, and uh, also there's like characters in the movie that don't speak at all, and you, um, you understand what they're emotionally communicating in a movie that was just put on Netflix for like fitting in with a Christmas lineup. It blows my mind how good this movie is. And I think more people need to see it and they can because it's so freaking accessible. Whereas Isle of Dogs just feels like one of those movies that's made specifically for people like me that love movies. So I went and saw it and I thought it was fine. I thought it was like a B tier Wes Anderson movie. I think there's like five or six of his movies I prefer to Isle of Dogs, especially 
Fantastic Mr. Fox. I have to say, I, I agree. I think that this is a really, really, actually, like, this is probably the fairest one that I've seen because both of these movies have very, very revolutionary styles of animation. Not to say that the one in Isle of Dogs is revolutionary per se, but the way that he uses it in his Wes Anderson style, I think it's better than Fantastic Mr. Fox. If you put this, if you put Isle of Dogs against Fantastic Mr. Fox, Isle of Dogs wins every day. Maybe from an animation standpoint, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I think that uh, it, from a voice cast perspective, Isle of Dogs is incredible. I honestly, I'm trying to figure out where I stand on this because I, I, I Klaus is incredible. It's, it's, it, you're right. It's Kino. It's a surprisingly good movie, and if you haven't seen it, it's on fucking Netflix. Go fucking watch it, you goddamn piece of shit. Go watch the movie. Like it's, it's so easy to watch, and the voice acting is great. The story is actually like surprisingly hard wrenching for a Santa Claus origin story like if you just said the words Santa Claus origin story to any human being on earth they'd be like okay hey Josh have you seen Klaus Santa Claus origin story does give me a little like uh because my canon origin will always be Santa Claus is coming to town that's fair that's fair I'm the same way yeah but I I mean uh, I I remember you praising it uh when it came out and uh, I, I, I definitely see, like, the benefits of it. I think Isle of Dogs is good, but I'm also, like, I, I don't know. I'm also not, like, a huge Isle of Dogs fan or anything. Like, I'm not going to, like, vouch for it either. Josh, I think you would find the main character of Klaus, the, like, post office dude, very, very relatable. Oh, no. A little too relatable in the first and second act. And then by the third, you're like, oh, there is hope. <laughs> <laughs> I am an Isle of Dogs stan, and I still... I'm kind of leaning towards Klaus. It's funny because like when I did this bracket by myself, just doing it, because I've done it like four times because I I did it when I first saw the bracket and then I did it after doing some research and then I did it after watching all like the movies that I have missed, not all of them, but the ones that I watched at work today. I did it after that too. Klaus still never made it this far, and honestly, I'm just <laughs> now I'm kind of leaning towards Klaus. I, I'm I'm kind of seeing it for what it is. Isle of Dogs is great. Alden, where are you at, my friend? Uh, I think I'm kind of standing with Isle of Dogs. It's it sounds like John, you're kind of the deciding factor here. Josh says that he's kind of leaning towards Isle of Dogs as well. Hasn't seen Klaus. I mean, I would, I mean I would go with Klaus. It's the holiday holiday season soon yeah it's definitely like something i'm going to try and watch with people this year hell yeah klaus is moving on we've got anomalisa versus loving vincent i hate this this is tough i feel like i would i would have an easier time with something like loving vincent just trying not to uh feel absolutely terrible yes i agree anomalisa really really does make you feel like shit by the end of the movie and that's it that that is something against it well it's by design but it still is like damn i'm not watching this movie more than like once a year at most exactly i'm not gonna re-watch it tonight you know i'm not gonna watch it this week i'm not gonna watch it this month i watched it today on my phone 
get real heart wrenched by it. Like it still hurt my soul. Loving Vincent was a was a good watch. It was a trippy watch, and it made me invested in in what happened with with the uh, Vincent Van Gogh and like how he could have gone. It, it, it's it's a more accessible. I think that if you just as far as accessibility, you put these two movies in, into a broad audience, people will pick Loving Vincent for a number of reasons. I think too, like even since this movie's release, this new like Van Gogh kind of pop up like 3D environment art installation that's been here in New York. Like they're bringing it back in January. It, it left because they they took it. Oh, Aaron will love to hear that because she was so mad she missed it. Th- there's more appreciation I think for like Vincent Van Gogh and his art now than there ever has been thanks to movies like these and thanks to like passion projects and art installations and things like that and while I think Anomalisa is a fantastic movie made by one of the best I think that Anomalisa would thrive just as much if it was a live action film with the same attention to detail with the sound design and with the voice acting or I guess in that case it would just be acting uh, than Loving Vincent. If Loving Vincent was just another Van Gogh biopic, like the one with Willem Dafoe that was really good that came out like a year after this. I thought it was the same year. Maybe it was the year after. I think it was either the year after or the year before, but either way, it, the the fact that they, they lean into his art to make a story about him just feels a tier elevated in terms of of presentation and, and like, like class to me, but at the same point, yeah, between Anomalisa, I think most people are going to have a better time watching Loving Vincent because it has this unique kind of mystery and narrative to it, whereas Anomalisa is very much an art in introspective piece that most people would probably turn off 15 minutes in. Like, realistically, I think a lot of people are scared to embrace that self-reflection that the movie presents you with, whereas Loving Vincent functions as a biography picture. If nobody had given me any influence, I would have picked Loving Vincent because I believe that it's a better movie, but I was really wanting to defend Anomalisa, but what you just said kind of really resonated with me, that Anomalisa could have been made as a live-action film. It could have been, even like this, the, the weird psychedelic stuff that they did, because, I, okay, I, I didn't even mention this in my, in my breakdown of the movie before, but there's this other sequence where he's going through, like, not even an identity crisis, but he's basically, like, like breaking through universes and he's having trouble understanding reality and they do this thing where I told you they have two different facial pieces for his face and um, those pieces just start randomly fluctuating and he's looking at himself and he's like and you can hear the clacking as if they're clicking on the facial pieces and it's like and they're just randomly, and it doesn't even look like animation. It just looks like they're literally just randomly putting on new pieces of his face. Oh, this just in. Walt Disney Animation Studios just confirmed a live-action remake of Anomalisa starring... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I thought you were serious for a second. Yeah, I was about to puke. Starring Jared Leto. Starring Jared Leto. I would watch it. Stop. Loving Vincent versus Klaus for the final four, going up against... 
fucking Rango. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the only one that has a chance against Rango is Loving Vincent. Yeah. Both of these, either one of these movies would be Rango for me personally. Yeah, I, I think both of these have a solid chance. Nate, I, I for, okay, first of all, Alden, I want to hear why you think Klaus could beat Rango because like the, I really feel like comparing Klaus to Loving Vincent is not a fair comparison. Let's try and figure out why Klaus or might beat Rango because I think the argument for Loving Vincent versus Rango is a very compelling argument, but Klaus versus Rango I feel like is a based argument that might not happen. I can do it right now. I think Klaus and Rango have a very similar setup of this this person gets thrown into a situation where they don't want to be. Uh, Rango gets ostracized to this random fucking desert town where they have a water crisis and he's like the only line of defense that they have because everyone assumes that he's a new sheriff and because he's an egotistical maniac he's like yeah fine I'll be a new sheriff whereas in, in Klaus the main character gets assigned to be the post officer of this like defunct town on the brink of a civil war and has been for hundreds of years because there's this generational conflict that like has roots for like no reason there's not actually any problem there they just want to fight with each other and they're very similar setups of this person gets thrown into this scenario and they have in order to leave and live the life that they want to live have to overcome that major conflict at the heart of their town and in the heart of the situation that they're presented with. But Rango doesn't have the supporting cast that Klaus has. Rango is pretty much the only character you give a shit about in the end of the movie. I disagree. Maybe the fucking salamander chick with the shotgun, like, sure, maybe she's cool, but she freezes a lot and is kind of weird. But, like, dude, even the little fucking elf girl is way cooler than any other character in Rango besides Rango. Not to mention the titular character Klaus, who more or less carries the entire movie. We've already talked about the Doc Man, played by Norm MacDonald, but even the evil the villains of this movie, by the end, you're kind of like, they're not bad people, they're just dumb. And that's life. <laughs> Rango has a bunch of pathetic townsfolk and this one hero that's there to save them who doesn't have any idea what it means to be a hero. I think that Klaus is the stronger movie on a plot standpoint, on a character standpoint, and even on a visual standpoint. Because as much as I love Gore Verbinski's direction, I, I think the environments of Rango look great, and the character animation is certainly unique, and I do like it, but I don't think with the way visual technology is continuing to progress, it's going to look good in 10 or 15 years. I, I disagree with that, too. Yeah, I don't know about that. First of all, you said on a villain base, I think that Rattlesnake Jake and Turtle Guy, I forget the guy's name rattlesnake jake as a whole is a better villain than any villain you get in klaus well the whole point of klaus is there isn't a villain there's just dumb idiots but rattlesnake jake provides a genuine fear to all of the characters and he also provides a genuine threat to rango even in the final fight the only reason he wins uh, is because there's there's this plot that he's created with this big bird and all of this other stuff that just goes awry and it's a great action sequence. I, I think between Loving Vincent and Klaus, Loving Vincent is the W here. It has to be. It, it doesn't... Klaus, I don't think... If we put Klaus against Rango, it doesn't hold a chance. I think Loving Vincent also 
I think Loving Vincent holds a very strong chance against Rango. I don't think that Klaus does. I think that Klaus is 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 uh, ultimately a different movie. Like uh, obviously they're all different movies, but uh, like you know you're comparing them in those sorts of ways, which they are. Yeah, and I think I think Loving Vincent is the one that needs to go on between Klaus and Loving Vincent, just simply because I, I think that there's other takes on the Santa Claus origin that are interesting, but I don't think there's ever going to be a Vincent Van Gogh biography picture or or, or a celebration of his work through film that is going to hold a candle to what Loving Vincent is. I think we said it on the initial argument, Loving Vincent took the uh, collective of like hundreds of artists to make thousands of paintings to make this movie. 65,000 oil paintings. 65,000. It it takes that 2D animation, hand-drawn art style that people love and have this nostalgia for to a whole new level. Well, let's do it then. All right, let's do it. Rango versus Vincent. Here we go. I mean, I'm sorry, but it's loving Vincent. Like, I, I don't see a way where Rango topples everything we've said about loving Vincent over the past hour. So what I can give Rango here over loving Vincent is I don't think um, when I say this take, I don't think animation is exclusively um, for family movies only, but I think it's a very big thing in the genre and i think that's what rango has on top of loving vincent i think i there's a lot of people who just haven't seen rango i was one of them a year ago when we did the nickelodeon ranking and i feel like you could rango's i think definitely the more inviting film to literally anybody you i could show i could show a friend that's that I could show a friend of mine that, or I could show my father, or I could show, like, any anybody. It's very accessible. Loving Vincent, I think story-wise, it's very inviting to, like, any like anybody around my age. But I, as great as the animation looks, it might come off distracting to some people I could see who are, like, I don't know, who don't watch, like, a lot of animation movies or, like, don't just want to get into that psychedelic type stuff um so when it comes to accessibility i think rango has it i think loving vincent obviously animation wise visual wise has it uh story wise i don't know if it has it like it's a it's pretty good but i think the uh the story in rango also it's just kind of this cheesy western but it just works it's it's just super entertaining it knows exactly what it is and uh it's the three amigos but without two other amigos yeah and it's definitely a better protagonist the the protagonist in loving vincent i already forget his name he's the postman's son uh, it's it's about vincent but vincent is is dead in the movie like he's that's not a spoiler that's just history it's like it it takes place right after his death but uh rango like you're it, it's rango you're following rango throughout the story and he uh he starts off as this like pet turned into a uh a, a hero it is literally a hero's journey western uh much like uh 
Much like Will Turner in Pirates of the Caribbean, Gore could do his hero's journeys pretty well, if you ask me. Because I love Rango. I have fought for it since it was on the other side of the bracket. I believe that Rango is one of the greatest animated movies ever made, and I'm not even joking. I, like, even outside of this bracket, I, I believe that Rango is one of the greatest animo- animated movies ever made. That being said, Rango is flushed away. It's the same movie. It is flushed away, and I'm not saying flushed away is a bad movie. I like flushed away. But what flushed away and Rango aren't is loving Vincent. Yeah, Alden, where where do you stand on this uh, this debacle? I feel like I'm going to just come off as a uh, Rango hater, but I, I am siding with loving Vincent here, and I think my bias is mainly because uh, Fango is probably my favorite, like non-modern artist yeah if salvador dali still counts uh, still counts as modern i mean i would argue van gogh is the start of modern art yeah yeah definitely the impressionist movement that led to the modern art movement definitely yes yes and i think that's why like i like him so much is what his art represents as like just paintings in general i don't know i i have a bias there i think the oil painting uh, animation is incredible. It's like Rango is is great 3D animation. Set design's really good. I just I I don't think it's as unique as it should be. Whereas Loving Vincent, there's nothing that even comes close. I feel like Rango was kind of misadvertised too because I missed this one as a kid entirely. It looked like it was gonna be like a dumb little cheesy, like every other DreamWorks movie that came out kind of adventure. I definitely watched it like two years after it came out. I mean, these are both movies that fell under the radar. Neither of these movies won. Rango won. Oh, did it? Mm-hmm. Based. What re- what Rango reminds me of is like movies like. And I know that it's not that, but, like, I agree, like, in the advertising, it had the same energy as, like, over the head. Like, that same energy where it's, like, you see it and you're like, eh, okay, well, that's gonna be like that movie. But it's not. It's not like that at all, but you're right. In the advertising, like, it comes across like like an over the hedge or what what's like over the hedge there's another movie that's just like that open season or even even like even like madagascar like it has that feel where it's like oh fish out of water animal that's not where it's supposed to be but you compare the quality of the animation in rango compared to those movies it's it's not even close yeah you're totally right it's so much better <laughs> i think that loving vincent is a testament to to any animation at all. I think that any person who values any kind of animation can look at Loving Vincent and be like, yes, this is something that has never been replicated since and has never been done before and deserves the recognition that it hasn't gotten, to be completely honest. Like, it really... It, it, I, I believe everybody should watch Loving Vincent. Like, it's, it's, a, it's an incredible film. Even if you don't, like, appreciate... Like, the story that happens in it, the work that went into it is is in and of itself just breathtaking just just to be honest like it's 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 nothing like anything that anything has ever been put to film before and it's not just some like boring uh like art history lesson either van gogh's like life and death are very interesting it's it's tough because both of these films did something unique outside of the normal 
a way to animate a movie. Like you just said with Loving Vincent and then Rango kind of went towards the motion cap type stuff. Andy Circus who? There hasn't been a movie like Rango since Rango. No. Nobody would put the time into it except for, I'd argue, the person that's closest doing it and did it before Rango was James Cameron with Avatar. And I think Avatar was an influence on Rango. I'm going to be the one to bring up Avatar on this episode. And Loving Vincent is the testament to the fact that animated movies don't need to be made for kids. And if a movie like Loving Vincent got the appreciation that it deserved, other movies that have the audacity to tell the stories that Rango tries to tell could be more bombastic and could tell deeper stories, could be more out there with the decisions that they want to make. And for that, I I have to give the point to Loving Vincent because it held its own against Anomalisa. It's it's fought way harder to get where it's at, whereas like Rango kind of got there by circumstance. And maybe that says a lot about the character and the movie itself. But for me, this is Loving Vincent and I, I really won't be persuaded at this point i couldn't i couldn't agree more this this is not really so much of a fight as so much as like i want to defend rango even though i know that loving vincent is an objectively better film and and it has so many more like culturally relevant like properties to it we're there loving vincent has found a way and hopefully unlike vincent van gogh this movie gets its appreciation before it disappears uh from streaming catalogs uh because physical media is dead um yeah thank you everyone for checking out today's episode of duel of the takes thank you panelists for being here fighting tooth and nail i have one more point to make uh how far would of hoodwinked gone if it got a nom in this bracket not even one i would have fought so hard I would have shit on Hoodwink so bad. Hoodwink could have beat Ferdinand or Boss Baby. Hoodwink might have been like a 2000s movie. It was. It was like 2006, I think. Hoodwink wouldn't have beat Shrek. <laughs> it would have been with like cars. It would have beat Shrek, not Shrek 2. No. Yeah, it would have been Shark yeah, Tale. Brought it all the way up. Yeah, next week we will be, uh, jo- join us as we will be uh, making a tier list out of Nintendo Wii video games to kick off our uh, Christmas specials. So it's going to be a fight. The Wii.